to another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. And this episode is going to be the annual Duke Basketball Tree 2019 edition. So what this is is basically catching up with all, or at least most, of the ex-Duke players. And I guess in Mike Bray's case, who guys who are on the case staff, and typically they are ex-Duke players, um, who aren't currently playing or on the staff. So not Nate James, not John Shire, Nolan Smith, or Chris Carwell. So, and obviously not Kay and not the current players. So we're talking ex-Duke players in the NBA, in NBA coaching or front office roles, coaching in college, and players who transfer. Uh, so yeah, I could have split it up, but I'm guessing if you listen to my pod, by now you're fine with the length of some of the episodes. Plus, it's the off-season when many are looking for any type of Duke fix. Well, here you go. So if you enjoy, take a few seconds to rate on Apple Podcasts. If you really enjoy, take 30 seconds uh, to write a kind review. That's the type of promotion which helps others find it. If you're willing to do so, thanks so much. If you're not, I understand. I appreciate you listening anyway. I do want to mention um, a couple things since it was so, since this episode is so packed um, that I did uh, forget to mention. Uh, number one, <laughs> Marquise Bolden, who... Yeah, I've talked about him plenty, so it's not like I obviously meant to leave him out. He actually had his Summer League debut earlier today when he, I think he played like 20 minutes, had 10 points, 5-5 shooting, 8 boards, 5 offensive, 3 steals, 2 blocks. He was all over the place, so it's great. I will say, 2014, Glenn Rice Jr. won the Summer League MVP award, and I got excited. And that is the last time I will ever take anything like that seriously. Level of competition matters, context matters, and you can be happy for Marquise while understanding what is going on in the situation. So either way, good start from Marquise. Hopefully he can find a way to uh, make his way to an NBA roster this season. All right, so number two, I have not looked closely at the contract, so uh, when mentioning years or specific amounts of money, there could be all kinds of context and team or player options. Um, so I would suggest you check um, yourself before taking any contract specifics you hear in this podcast as gold. Uh, if you, number three, if you extend the Duke tree a little a bit further, it's also possible to mention uh, Duke grad Adam Silver, obviously the NBA commish. There is Stephen Paliuka. He is co-owner of the Boston Celtics and father of uh, two ex-Duke walk-ons, uh, Joe, as well as one of my favorites, Nick Dalyuka, a.k.a. Pags. Um, extend the tree even further. You get uh, Mike Krzyzewski's son-in-law, Chris Spatola, uh, who contributes to CBS and The Athletic, as well as uh, doing some in-game color commentary. So he's uh, rising up in the media ranks. When I was talking about the Pelicans, there's two things. Number one, Brandon Ingram's health issue, the blood clot in his arm. They, uh, they do, they, uh, they go through the medicals when a trade happens, so obviously he should be good to go, so best of luck to him. Uh, from everything I've heard and read, his health is not an issue at this point. Uh, and the other Pelicans, um, statement that I should have included, just a fun fact, J.J. Redick, 13 for 13 in his career, making the playoffs, played 13 years, made the playoffs 13 years, I believe, uh, what was it, like, I mean, most of it, it was started with Orlando as a bunch. He was traded in the middle of one season to uh, Milwaukee. I think he actually played in the playoffs for Milwaukee one year. 
and then uh, Clippers and Philly, obviously. So overall, 13 for 13. Um, the last thing, Derek Thornton, um, he uh, he was a terrific defender, and uh, the uh, my 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 teammate who I'm about to mention, he did mention how Derek Thornton he didn't he thought Thornton was a bit weak at Duke. I should have pushed back further because I was actually hoping Trey Jones would become. Um, the type of defender Thornton was at Duke on ball and off, and uh, Trey, he, he did pretty, he did pretty uh, good in his uh, freshman year. I will say that. My teammate, the the guy who I recorded the pod with, Joe Gaudio. You might be hearing more of him coming up, and he it was a lot of fun to record with Joe. He is a Duke fan from New York, and uh, we did take a couple minutes at the start of the pod, kind of going over his Duke fanhood, how he became a fan, and uh, some cool games. He has been to in uh, in New York. So again, this is the annual Duke Basketball Tree episode 2019 edition. If I forgot anyone, uh, hey, l- l- let me know. Break it to me gently. <laughs> but uh, I'm sensitive. But let me know. Hey, maybe even tell me something you liked. I know that's uh, that, that's not allowed on uh, the internet and social media, but couldn't hurt. Feedback is nice, and nice feedback is even nicer. So, uh, here's a lot of good stuff packed into one episode, and uh, thanks for listening, guys. One more thing, the pops on Joe's end, the sound issues at times, I do apologize, and uh, yeah, I do recognize it. I did a ton of editing, and uh, unfortunately, this is pretty much as good as as it's going to get. I will do whatever is within my control to prevent this in the future, and again, I do apologize. What's going on, guys? Adam Comero here with the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am bringing on my buddy Joe Gaudio. We are going to shine a spotlight on the Duke players in the NBA for this episode because I, I don't really get a chance to talk much during the season about uh, Duke players in the NBA because there's so much going on. Then there's the draft and everything in terms of scouting reports preparing for NBA careers. But then once it happens, there's just... I think it would be great to kind of catch up a little bit on each player, a little rundown of each. It is the summer, so there's plenty of options with some dead time right now, and I know everyone's craving some Duke information. So, Joe, thanks so much for joining me, and let's start out real quick. What? Uh, how did you become a Duke fan? How long have you been a Duke fan? Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. So I've been a Duke fan. Um, it's a pretty funny story. When I was real young, well, a little before the, the Fab Five days, um, I was kind of into Michigan, and my mother um, went out one day and bought me a Duke hat. And I don't know what what the reasoning was behind it or anything, but I, I just, from that day on, I said, you know what, I'd like to, they were on TV a lot and the Christian Leitner days, so I just kind of, you know, started sitting down watching Duke play, and it just, whatever reason was Coach K and how they played the game and how they were perceived, that's what made me want to be a Duke fan. I mean, I'm a coach. I've coached high school basketball. So, you know, I try to tailor that toward my guys. And I just like the Duke way, the, you know, everybody, you know, it's team first and there's no, there's no egos. And, and if there are, you know, as you've seen in the past, some of those players get moved, moved on. So I just, I've been a Duke fan ever since. And, you know, I have a dog named Duke. I mean, everything in my house is Duke, everything. So I figured, you know, no, no better team to, to, to watch and, and, and to root for than a team that, you know, has the standards as high as they do. So. Well, when you name your dog, when you name your dog Duke, I mean that's that's serious stuff right there. 
That's <laughs> right. An English um, bulldog named Duke. Very nice. Duke Jersey and everything. So. Yeah, if you didn't hear, I think I might have mentioned uh, before that, um, I mean, I my reason for becoming a Duke fan was pretty much – I don't want to say just as stupid because yours was legit. Mine was legit stupid. Um, with my best friend at the time, we were both little kids. He, I, I asked him, he was talking about the, the Fab Five. And I was like, is that your favorite team? He's like, yeah. I was like, who's their rival? And at that time, he said, it was Duke. So I was like, okay, I'm a Duke fan. And that pretty much, from there on, basically, I started following Duke a little bit. But as a kid, I mean, you don't watch too closely. But then I will say... Uh, we'll get more into this in just a couple minutes when we start doing uh, NBA rundowns, but Trajan Langdon, he's the one who really got me into Duke. Like, I would just spend hours pretending when I was outside shooting the ball, pretending I was Trajan Langdon, and it was just... I mean, he he was the guy, the Alaskan assassin. And then I would say J.J. Redick, that's when I kind of became a super fan. But those are the two, so them being reunited... It was, it was all sorts of emotional with the Pelicans, but we'll get into that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, um, so you have told me you have gone and seen Duke games um, every year, except, unfortunately, the national championship year. What are some uh, games at Cameron that have stuck out to you, or even, you said, ACC tournaments you've seen? So what are some uh, highlights of games that you have attended? So, and, and I know this is probably comes across wild, but unfortunately, every single game that I've ever seen, I live in New York, mm-hmm. so they come to New York and they come to New Jersey every single year. So every game that I've ever seen has been at either the Barclays Center or Madison Square Garden or Syracuse in that area. So, oh, so you've never been to Cameron? I've never been to Cameron. Okay. You but just think you could be been at Cameron North. Yeah, so I, I and it is. Let me tell you, when you go to Madison Square Garden to see a Duke game, it is Cameron North. Like we, we, um, the first game I ever went to see was at the Izod Center where the Nets used to play, and um, it was JJ Reddick's, I believe it is his junior year, and it was with Reddick and Sheldon, and they were playing against Texas at the time, who was number two in the country, and they had Lamarcus Aldridge, PJ Tucker, like they were. It was, I was so excited to go to the game. And that's when when J.J. had his career high, 43 on 9 of 16 from 3. So I remember that was the first game I ever went to. And, you know, it, it, that's probably the biggest memory I remember. Unfortunately, I was at the VCU game in the tournament when they lost to VCU. Um, just went to the ACC tournament this year. That was fantastic to see them, you know, win the ACC tournament and how they won it. So, I mean... I've been to probably 15, 20 games, and uh, each one of them I'm as excited to go to, you know, is the last one, you know. But the one that sticks out the most to me would be the J.J. career high. Was that – um, that wasn't like uh, when Daniel Gibson was like a big yes. star. It yeah, was? yeah okay. he was there. Yeah, he was there, and um, I forget who else um, – the the big man that Buckman was there um, – they were that they were number they were actually I think they were number one at the time and Duke was two but um, yeah I'm, I'm I'm looking at it right now yeah I even remember like Ken Ken Paulino um yeah but you yes. were right with Aldridge and uh, P J Tucker yeah that was that was a that was a great team yeah and they in that Duke team I mean I it's funny I was sitting behind a North Carolina fan and he you know I had all my Duke stuff on and he's like I just don't see how JJ's that good he's like I mean I understand he's a really good shooter. And then as the game went on, you could see and you could see his face starting to change. And he turned to me, and at the end of the game, he goes, he goes, yeah, I got nothing to say because <laughs> yeah. there's nothing you really could say after a performance like that. I mean, he was incredible, and 
just the atmosphere there was unbelievable. They ended up winning by, I think, 20, 30 points. So mm-hmm. it was it was a decisive win. And from that day on, I, you know, he, he cemented himself as my favorite Duke player of all time. So Okay, so let's get into the Duke and the NBA players, and then we'll get into possible, possible other topics after that. And we have just uh, gone through the first day of free agency, the first, like, hour of free agency i mean it's like i just wanted to like tweet the nba it's like do you think there might have been a little tampering going on because obviously a joke i mean i it's just wild i think it was a great idea to move it from it used to be midnight and they moved it to 6 p.m eastern time i think that was a fantastic move i mean sunday at six so uh, i i think like mike florio from pro football talk he he wrote some like short article on like this is not smart by the NBA. They should do it when there's more people who are paying attention, like on a on a work day. And everyone's just like, "You're an idiot, dude. Watch what happens." And yeah, the, basically the internet exploded. It was the wildest first couple hours of free agency ever. And there's a lot of unknown in terms of what's going to happen um, in the NBA next season. So just these everyone switching teams. Uh, led by Durant and Kyrie, it, it could be, it, there's a lot to talk about. And starting off, let's go with, uh, I mean, obviously the Pelicans are going to be a big topic, but the Nets made the biggest splash, obviously. So how, how do you feel about them uh, picking up um, Durant and the focus, obviously? We'll, we'll talk about Duke players and obviously the general um, other players, because that's just as important. Um, and obviously Kyrie, how, how'd you feel about what the Nets did? I, I mean, I think, you know, I think that was, so I was expecting, I was expecting them to go to New York. I just was not expecting them to go to Brooklyn until recently when Brooklyn really like emerged as a favorite for them to go. But, um, you know, I, I think what, what got lost in the shuffle too, was that they both were willing to take a bit of a pay cut for Deandre Jordan to also join, which I don't. He's, he's not, you know, as polarizing as them two, is, but but he's just another piece to add to their nucleus that they have there. They had a really good 2019. So anytime you have a chance to add Durant, you know, whether it's Achilles injury or not, I mean, and then you add him around Kyrie who, you know, Duke bias aside, I think is is the best point guard in my opinion in the league. Him and Curry are very close. But, um, I mean, I think they've gone immediately to a contender. It just depends on what what other chips fall in the East. They have a chance to as good as a chance as anybody else. Do you think the Knicks were legit in saying that they didn't want to offer uh, Durant the max? Or do you think that was just an excuse after the fact? I, you know, I, I think that, I think a lot of it is that they just didn't want to play for Dolan. Can't argue with that. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you saw how Dolan treated his own Charles Oakley and guys like that. Like you just, I don't know. There's something about Dolan and, you know, they just didn't seem interested. And then you hear, you know, the fallout of, well, they weren't, they were worried about, you know, the Knicks. This is, we're worried about offering the super max because. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so do you think they, they were legit um, in saying that they were saying it at face value? I, I, I think that's just a cover up. I don't think they wanted it. I don't, I, I think they were just covering up the fact these guys just didn't want to play for New York. Mm. The Knicks. So they were lying. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. I mean, in, in nicer terms. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think. I just don't think they wanted to play for Dolan, bottom line. Yeah, I mean, it might take someone like RJ being just a total superstar in order to get the Knicks on the radar, which is crazy because they've been bad for so long. 
Um, I mean, not Wizards bad, um, F my life, but uh, they, huh. they, they have been pretty damn bad. I mean, Wizards bad is just, I don't think people really understand it because people are so apathetic to the Wizards. The Knicks, there's a lot more emotion that uh, somehow comes out in people when the Knicks are talked about because there there's history, even if most weren't haven't been alive um, for a lot of the times when the Knicks have kind of played out that those legendary seasons because I mean, honestly they haven't been good in a while but the Wizards that's just a whole new other level of that but um, with the Nets I mean for the DeAndre Jordan thing that's odd because I wonder if they just want to get some more leadership in there because Durant even if he's going to be on the team and not being able to play not being able to play it's so tough for guy to be the same in the locker room as if you are active you're just it's a mentality of either you're playing, you're one of us, or you're not. And I'm not saying he's ca- he's going to be cast out in any way. It's just you don't have the same impact as a presence, as a voice, if you're not actually playing in the game. And with Durant, he's not going to be, at least for the majority of next season. So DeAndre Jordan does have that leadership ability. So maybe they want to get him in for that reason. There's obviously questions about Kyrie's leadership and just the fact that because it's weird. They have Jared Allen, who is a younger, at this point, better version of DeAndre Jordan. So it's weird that they would just, that Durant and Kyrie would accept less for him. I found that odd. Right. I agree. And I, I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you noticed that, you know, the, the uh, contract that Horford signed. I mean, I thought, I thought Horford would have been a perfect piece to go with them because I think he's, I mean, I would obviously rather have him than Jordan, but um, just leadership-wise, you hear nothing but great things about Horford. You never, like, I remember, you know, when Jordan got offered a contract and then backed out of the contract, and like when he was supposed to go to Dallas, it was just a whole like fiasco about him. I mean, I've always liked Jordan's game, but I just don't know how that will translate, you know, because he's just not a scorer. They have one score on that team, and the and they just lost a huge score. They traded Crab, and they lost. You know, they obviously lost D'Lo, too. So the only true scorer on there with Durant not on the court is Kyrie. I don't even know if it's about his his role. I think it's about he's just – I mean, if you watched in the last couple of years, he's just not the same DeAndre Jordan as he was. So I don't want to use the term washed. But sure. it's just it, – from watching him and then watching Jared Allen, they do the same things. And Jared mm-hmm. Allen is just someone who I'd rather have on the court. And yep. um, so – yeah, I, th- I think that was interesting. I do like um, – uh, what's his name from Michigan? Um, hold on, let me look up Nets Ross. Karis LeVert. I LeVert. Love, I love Karis LeVert. I love him oh, so yeah. much. Coming out of college, like, there, he had gone through a bunch of injuries. I think he, he tore up his knee. And I'm just like, if this dude gets healthy, there's just something about him. Watch out. And then he did get healthy. He did start contributing. And then he got injured again. And that was it, gruesome, that injury. Yeah, yeah, and uh, th- thank goodness it wasn't as bad as initially thought. And he's back, so I, th- I think he's going to provide a major role. They got Joe Harris, knockdown shooter uh-huh. from Virginia. I mean, there's there's pieces on there. So I did think that DeAndre Jordan um, signing was a little sketchy. But you know what? I think that leadership might be uh, what, the, um, what convinced him. I would say... Do you think – I mean, it's funny because with the betting, everyone loves to bet. All of a sudden, they became a lot 
I don't know how it goes, like a lot more um, favored, I guess, to win it. Not necessarily the favorite, but a favorite. Do you Would you agree with that next year? Because it's odd. It's going – I mean, Durant's not going to be playing, if not all season, the majority. Yeah, I, I think they'll be good. You know, being in the East will help, you know, because I just don't think outside of maybe a handful of teams, you know, they could they could battle and they could be good. You know, even without Durant, obviously, if you add a Durant mid to end of season, I mean, that significantly makes you a title contender immediately. But I look at, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't think, you know, in terms of, I think the Sixers are better. I think Boston, you know, adding Kemba, I don't know how that's going to work, but I think Boston's going to be very good. Obviously, if Kawhi goes back to Toronto, they're clearly the favorite in the East. So I think they've got, they got better, but they, they won't hit their potential until, I mean, obviously until Durant comes back, who knows when and if that's going to happen. Yeah. And I will say with Durant, I, if it was at face value in terms of what the Knicks were saying, this is just me. I've, it's been very recent that more well-known players like, um, with Boogie Cousins, with John Wall, um, even Kobe a couple years back and now Durant, all of a sudden these big names are tearing their Achilles but even before that, I was really into the fact that, like, this is happening more often, and it's just guys don't come back from it. It's still Dominic Wilkins is the only guy in any sport to come back and play at the level he, he played at before tearing his Achilles or rupturing. I mean, Terrell Suggs, you can make a case before he tore the other one. But it's just something – it's really risky. And with the advancements in science, I hope that guys are able to do that. But right now – I think the big question is, are you go, for the Knicks, for their fans, did they just want him signed just to say they have Kevin Durant? Or do they believe that the Achilles is not going to be an issue? Because, I mean, Kobe Bryant, like, the, you could look at him play. The game before he tore his Achilles, he was still at Kobe level. That season, he was at Kobe level. Then he came back, and everyone's like, oh, he's just, he's over the hill now. He's old. It's like, no, man, that Achilles ruined him. And Rudy Gay, he's not he's not as athletic I mean, even like Wesley Matthews, I have to see how he's doing. But it's just, it's a rough injury, and I don't know if I would trust us. That's my quick thoughts on the next little unduke related there. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, an Achilles injury, you know, ACLs are are obviously not good either. But, you know, for the most part, Achilles is almost, you know, I, I don't want to say a career ender. But, it, I mean, it, just the explosiveness is gone. I mean, you know, you have a, you know, in basketball and football, you see a lot of receivers and running. When a running back tears his Achilles, he is never the same again. I mean, bottom line, I like the, the Suggs reference. I'm a huge Ravens fan. So I, uh, you know, I'm a, I, I love the Suggs reference. And he's just, uh, I mean, he's just battling father time. I mean, he's still incredible. But, you know, yeah, with the Ravens, you can say, back. sorry to interrupt, but like Michael, oh, with uh, Westbrook, um, he was never really a guy who got big separation either, so it's hard to tell from him. Mm-hmm. But um, wait, no, I'm sorry, Westbrook Crabtree, uh, Michael Crabtree. Mm-hmm. He's some. He was like a Bolden type who never got a lot of separation, so it's hard to tell. But like a guy like Kevin Ware, uh, who played for Louisville against Duke, when he breaks his leg and there's like bone sticking through, obviously it's going to inspire a lot more of a visceral reaction. The same way like Sean Livingston when he had that gruesome injury, because you can see it. There's people, like, screaming and crying, but they recover from that, and they're fine. The Achilles, it's tough. You don't see it. You can't, like, see the reaction. It's just 
But man, that that's rough. So I don't know. If for me, I would like to see someone be able to come back for real before I actually would be willing to uh, give that money to Durant. And I agree. I mean, I get I get that Durant is, you know, elite, and Durant is, you know, some would argue that Durant's the best player in the world. I don't think he is. Some would argue that. But I, I look at it like, you know, you mentioned the Kevin Ware thing. When Kevin Ware broke his leg, I think the main thing for him to come back and play at the level he did when he came back to Georgia State and all that was, was the mental aspect of the game for him. Like, once he can get past the – you know, like the Gordon Hayward, when he like getting past that, just playing your game that you used to play, that's more of a met. Like with an Achilles, I feel like that truly saps away your talent ability, your explosiveness. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, some of those, I mean, modern technology is incredible. Don't get me wrong, they can pretty much do anything. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see how Durant comes back because, because, I mean, an Achilles is. I mean, that's to me, I think that's the worst injury you can have in, in, in pretty much any sport. Yeah, as a Wizards fan, just another another kind of punch to the gut. I mean, John Wall already hurt. Then he tears oh, his yeah. Achilles while recovering. It's like, at, just as he's about to enter his max contract, it's like, oh, my God, just punch me in the face. All right, the Pelicans. Are people, All right, so is, is it Duke West or is it Duke South? Or is it Duke Southwest? Or what, is it the uh, – was it is it the Pell Devils? Is it the is it the is it the Devilkins? Like what is it? Because I've never seen anything like it. You told me you you either used to be a Chicago fan, a Bulls fan, or um you'd live there or both. And I remember they had Dunleavy, they had Duhon, they had Luol Dang. But this is crazy. They have Zion, JJ Redick, Brandon Ingram, Frank Jackson, Jaleel Okafor, and Trajan Langdon as the GM. It's nuts. How, how do you feel about all these Dukies coming together, and what should, what's going to be the uh, official name you would give them? Yeah, I don't know. I think that I, I like that Devilkins. Um, you know, New Orleans is. You know, I, I don't know how how I can even come up with a, a, a catchy name. I'd need a couple minutes to come down with one on my own. But I, you know, I just I don't know. I love this roster. I don't like. I love and the guys they have. And the guys I have, I love. Like I, I generally like. And again, I'm a Duke fan. I've always been a Duke fan growing up. But I look at it like, there were some Duke players that I wasn't a huge fan of. But every single one of these Duke fan, Duke players on this roster, you know, I love. And JJ and, and Zion being two of my favorites ever. So, you know, I can assure you that when I play 2K next year, I will be playing with the Pelicans, not the Chicago Bulls. But I. You know, I, I, I think they, they're going to gel well. They brought in veteran presence with J.J. You know, you add in Zion. I mean, I just – I don't know. And, and I, I think they're going to be exciting to watch. And I think they got – I think they're better than people think they are going to be. I think they're going to be good. Um, I, I think I think there are going to be some high expectations for them, possibly unfair, just because of the Zion factor. I mean, I sure. don't know if there's anyone who's come into the NBA – as hype designed since LeBron. I mean, that's a crazy thing to say, but I mean, he's ready right now. It's not like even Anthony Davis, when he came to the NBA, he was still pretty skinny. I mean, you could, sure. you could see the talent, but he was skinny. Zion, he's ready. I mean, even to the point where you could play him at the five some. So for me, I mean, you got JJ and Trajan Langdon, my number one and two favorite Dukies of all time. It is just, I couldn't love anything more. And you could arguably the top two um, Duke shooters, of all time, and then you got Zion Robo Dookie. 
You got uh, Brandon Ingram. Um, I mean, just length everywhere. You got Jaleel Okafor, who it's, it was nice to see him come back from. I mean, some had given up on him, and then he really worked to get himself in shape after uh, Philly let him go, and then things didn't work out for the Nets. Um, but he's he's in much better shape. He's still, I would say too often a liability on defense and it's going to be uh-huh. interesting to see how the pelicans use him because with the way they, they're building the roster with uh, lonzo ball and zion and just ingram you would think they want to run especially with jackson hayes a rim runner like that who's not going to be a guy who you can just dump the ball down to but he can run he can play defense block and just get out and transition almost like the Duke team last year, but now they actually have shooters with a guy like J.J. Redick and, um, I mean, Josh Hart and some some other um, guys, and they, they drew Holiday, couldn't ask for a better leader in that sense. So I, I think things are set up for a possible really interesting team, if nothing else. I'm not sure what Jaleel Okafor's role is going to be, but, oh, they also picked up um, uh, Derek Favors. So I, I was actually saying, I, I tweeted that, uh, if they did a hard knocks for the NBA, it would be interesting to see the Pelicans just to see like Zion and Derek Favors like banging on the block like gladiators. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing. There's not many guys who can who would be able to hang with with uh, Zion down low. Favors, man, he is strong as a bull. And then you got Frankie Buckets, who I don't think was used anywhere near correctly at Duke. And then he was injured. He had a surgery a couple times on his foot. I think he could be a microwave scorer off the bench. So I think there's. All these Duke guys, they can contribute. And Trajan, after uh, helping Sean Marks build the roster with the Nets um, and clear the cap space, uh, which freed up their big uh, spending spree, now he's helping to build uh, this roster in uh, in New Orleans. So, yeah, there could be great things going on. Just uh, tell of our balls to stay away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I look at, I look at the. Uh you know, that roster as, you know, now, now that place just went to from, you know, AD wanted out immediately to a place that may be attractive to now other free agents. I mean, the chance to go play with Zion, the chance to go play with, you know, whether you love him or you don't love him. I mean, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball could be a very polarizing player. I mean, he, he he's very good. You know, I, I love the pace he plays with. He's learn, now learning from Drew will be you know, huge for him because they didn't have another point guard. I mean, they had a Rondo. I've, I've never been a, a huge Rondo fan, but I look at, you know, I look at, you know, what they have working in, in, in um, New Orleans there that I think that they, you know, all they're, they're only going to be able to build on what they have now. They have a good core of guys. They have some veterans. They have some youth. Now it's, you know, maybe a piece or two away from truly being a contender. Yeah, I will say it is tough to be a point guard and play with LeBron. Um, sure. It's kind of you just wait for your chances because it's going to be LeBron initiating most of the time. So I would like say playing well, with Melo. <laughs> Melo's a, a whole other story, but um, <laughs> exactly. I mean he he is a black hole. When once it's going to him, it ain't coming out. Um, but, but but yeah, I mean LeBron is the natural playmaker, so that's why Kyrie was a great fit because Kyrie. I don't think there's any one. I don't think there's any better one-on-one player in the NBA. So Kyrie would just, they would kind of take turns initiating the offense and that worked out great. Whereas Lonzo, I think he's more of a natural pass first point guard. And I think that could go a lot better with uh, the Pelicans, their sort of run and gun style. I, I think that could be really exciting to watch in New Orleans. Some I'm glad that that's uh, working out so far. We'll see how it goes moving 
moving forward. All right, so now let's do a rundown on just uh, other guys. Either it's going to be their rookie seasons or they have just signed a contract or they are waiting for a contract. All right, so we'll start out R.J. Barrett. I mean, I, I think he's already made adjustments in the way he's shooting. I think he's going to work his ass off. There's some guys that are just like, you believe in their work ethic. Same way like Bagley. He had no right hand. I still don't even know if he has a right hand, but I believe his work ethic, he'll develop one. Barrett, I think he did have shooting issues. I think the way Duke ran the offense didn't help and led many to believe. He kind of had uh, that um, when he got the ball, it was just a tunnel vision. He had tunnel vision. And I just, I don't think he was helped. So hopefully he can play more off ball. But I, I think he could be a star, maybe not top tier, but he's he's going to be really good with the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge R.J. Barrett fan, a huge R.J. Barrett supporter after, you know, after the criticism he received for obviously the free throws against Michigan State, which still gets me, you know, still upsets me that they didn't win that game. But, you know, I loved Barrett because I loved his leadership. I loved he's fearless, you know. And and I, I and the mention that you had, you had a great point last uh, last podcast I listened to was your you, you compared him to a Jalen Rose type player, and I think I think he's I think he's better. I think he could be better. He's a better pure scorer, and I think that you know he's not afraid of the moment. And and if you're going to play somewhere in New York, you got to have somebody who has that killer mentality and. You know, we all know the Maple Mamba has that. So, Yeah, he's been bred for this. I mean, he said he's born for this. He's made for this. I mean, from being like the chosen one from Canada to with uh, Coach K, he always has that veteran who he's just going to give the last shot to, no matter if it's the correct role or not, whether it's Trajan Langdon taking the last shot versus UConn in 99, whether it's JJ against LSU, whether it's Grayson. I mean, those are three guys that it's just, they really shouldn't be going ISO at the end of games, but, but K trusts his veterans who kind of, it's that uh, military mentality that K might have of they've proven themselves to me. They've earned the right. So they didn't have that last year in terms of ball handler. So immediately it was RJ. He trusted RJ. So it just shows when you have coach K's total trust of clear outs, no matter what, RJ is going to be the guy at the end of games, even though it didn't work out. It just proves, I mean, if you believe Coach K trusts the correct person, RJ is the one to trust. So I think he's going to work out great with the Knicks. Um, how about, uh, let's see, Cam Reddish on the Hawks. How, how'd you, how do you like that? Fit? Okay, so Cam Reddish to me, I, I think Cam Reddish is a great teammate. He's a great, like you could tell he's, you know, he's a likable guy and, you know, but I think he, he was a little fish out of water for me this year. And you could tell he was, he was tense. He was, you know, he, he just didn't, and, and some of the moments, the Florida state game, and obviously that unreal comeback against Louisville with him. But um, I, I think his game will translate to the NBA, you know, because of the freedom of movement. And, you know, I think having a point guard like Trey will help him. So another Trey, so he's got another trade to play with in the backcourt, and they. I like his game. He has the ability to play defense and be a good defender. And, and I know there's questions about his motor, and they say stuff like that all the time about his motor. But but I think he is much more bred for an NBA type of basketball than he is for the college game. So 
Yeah, I never had any issues with his motor. I, I thought he gave me good neither. effort. Yeah, he yeah. would just, he would just fall asleep at times. But in terms of effort, I never had an issue um, with him there. But I mean, it, for me, he just needs to just get in the film room and study film because he just needs to see what he's doing because right. inconsistencies. Yeah, I mean, inconsistency isn't just decision-making. He just, it's, I would joke many times throughout the season, he needs to diversify like Wu-Tang Financial because he just goes at 1,000 miles an hour with everything, and he's totally off balance a lot of the time. And, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of his defense, I think, is going to be the major factor. Otherwise, he's going to be a Terrence Ross, who sometimes you can get good, uh, results sometimes not, but I think it's just kind of a wait and see with Cam. I wouldn't say I he's, des- he's destined to be great. I wouldn't say it's, it was an awful pick. It's too early for that. Okay, so let's uh, go through more. Um, you got Austin Rivers with the Rockets. I think that's great. I think Austin is perfect for that team. I think, uh, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next year with the Western Conference. It's up in the air. So I think he added a veteran presence to that team's scoring ability. He's an underrated playmaker. Uh, his defense is a little shoddy at times, but it's not because of effort. So I, I like that the Rockets brought him back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember watching him play in the playoffs and stuff. He had some big games when they were playing against uh, Golden State. And, you know, he, he's the type of guy, like you mentioned about Frank Jackson a minute ago, he's the kind of guy you could take off the bench. He can, he can, you know, run an offense, and he can, he could be instant offense too. So, you know, it's important to have a guy like that. And I think Rivers, the issues with Rivers has never been offensive, even when he was at Duke and stuff. The other, the issues with Rivers were, were like you mentioned, more of like on the defensive end, and you know, but but to have a guy like that off your bench, not being your primary point guard, and you know, adding him into, you know, the Hardens and guys like that. I mean, he's, I think he's, that's a perfect spot for him to be. So. Okay, Rodney Hood, he's one of the guys that has always frustrated me the most um, from Duke because of his insane talent. But even coming out of Duke, no matter how good I knew he was, I would say like what I'm hoping for him is a Thaddeus Young type of career. And yeah, it's a lazy, la- it's a lazy lefty lefty comp. But it's just you, you never know what you're going to get from him. You might, he might look like an all star one moment and just disappear the next. So I think the Blazers signed him to a two year contract. And I don't think it was for too much. And I think it'll keep his motivation up to prove himself. And I think he added a, he added a good spark for the Blazers off the bench in the playoffs. And hopefully it's, it is kind of like Cam. It's about consistency for Rodney. For sure. I mean, you saw – I mean, he went – I mean, he looked – when he was in Cleveland, there were games a couple of years ago that he looked – I mean, he looked like he was done. Like, I was questioning the fact. Like, I'm like, I don't even know if he can even handle – being in the moment and, and and then he had a couple of huge games with Cleve. Like he's that type of guy that, you know, he's very, like you mentioned, he's inconsistent. You know, you, you're never going to, you know, you don't pencil him in with, you know, 15 and nine every single night because it's just not the type of player that Rodney Hood, even when he was a Duke, he wasn't like that. So he's just, you know, I, I agree with the, with the lefty lefty comp with Thaddeus Young. I, I, I do think Thaddeus Young's, you know, a, a bit better. I'd rather have Thaddeus Young on my roster than Rodney Hood. But in terms of taking a big shot or, or, or somebody that could score, you know, off the bench would be a huge asset off the bench. I think Rodney Hood is, you know, is he worth two years, $26 million? I don't know. That seems like a lot to me. But, you know, that's that's how the contracts seem to be working in the NBA these days. So, Yeah, I mean, as I'll say, I mean, all these guys, I mean, if you have any ability, you're going to get paid. 
Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I think Miles Plumley makes like 13 or something. <laughs> I, I love more, Miles, though. Hey, credit to him. Credit to him. Right. If you, I, I would never hold it against anybody for making what uh, teams are willing to pay. All right. Yeah. Um, Gary Trent, he's playing uh, Summer League for the Blazers. I think uh, – I honestly – I didn't get to see any G League, but I know he put up some stats last year. I thought he could be a steal when talking about him – in my uh, scouting reports leading up to the 2018 draft. So I know the Blazers have made some signings. I'll be honest, I don't know where, based on who they've signed, where he could be in the rotation. But I think if he gets a chance, he could prove himself as a lot more diverse a player than he was at Duke as just kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. Sure. I mean, and that's the issue, I think. That that was my gripe with him when he went to the NBA and he left after his freshman year. Um you know, if we had Gary Trent this year, I think we were champions because he was the perfect set-and-shoot type of guy that we were missing on this lineup. I mean, obviously, we, we had all the you know, hopes in the world for Cam coming in, and unfortunately, he shot, you know, poorly majority of the season. But, he, you know, he, he's a catch-and-shoot guy in the NBA, and you have Lillard, you have McCollum. I know they just uh, let Amino, uh, Al-Faruq Amino leave. I know that... Um, Miles Leonard, a couple guys, they're shuffling their roster around a little bit in Portland, so I don't know. I'm hoping that they give him a chance because I think I, in the I NBA. Think, I think Evan Turner, did he get straight yeah, too? Yep, and, and Seth Curry signed with the Mavericks. So, yeah, I knew that. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, maybe he steps into the Seth Curry role. You know, maybe he becomes the the shooting specialist off the bench. I mean, I, I hope he can because I think he's a good enough athlete and he's good enough. You know, obviously he's got a very high IQ, you know, from his father being in the NBA and all that. So I think I think if he's given a chance, if he could be consistent with his jump shot, I mean, you have to give a guy like that minutes. Okay, Trevon DeVal, he's playing on the Rockets Summer League team again. DeVal, it's just a bit about getting the defense to respect your shot because otherwise teams are just going to completely lay off you. And I think he could be a heck of a weapon, um, especially in the pick and roll. He was tremendous as even the, the stats and the eye test show passing out of the pick and roll, just passing in general. But if the defense, if they're just going to sink in, I mean, he needs to prove himself that way. But, I, I mean, he has the athletic ability. It's just about really fixing that jumper easier said than done. It is. It is. You know, it's definitely a work in progress. I mean, when he when he first came on to the Duke campus, you know, you could see that just he's just a pure athlete. I mean, it's quicker. He's quick. He's, you know, a great defender. He plays with great energy. He, you know, he's a great finisher at the basket. He can get to the basket. The issue and, and it's tough. The NBA, you know, if you can't, I mean, it's a shooter's league now, you know. So, you know, you look at the Rockets putting up 45 plus threes a game and, you know, that's the offense he's in right now. So, you know, you have to be able to, you know, he's a good pick and roll kind of guy. I just don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to make it into a rotation, you know, as much as I'd like to see him in it. I just don't. I mean, he has to work on the shot, but he also has to work more on, you know, just being a little more, like you say, with the diversity, uh, diversify his, you know, right now he's just kind of a one-trick pony. So it's hard to make an NBA roster doing that. All right, so we got uh, Emil Jefferson. He, the Magic have offered – they've given him a qualifying offer. and That was like a week ago. I'm not sure if that's been updated at all. But I just love the fact that he still is a trusted NBA professional who it's just like every team wants a player like him as a leader. And you just know 
whatever wherever he's supposed to be, he's going to be there. And he's just going to conduct himself in the most professional manner. Uh, I I love Emil. I mean, there were some moments um, last year with um, how is my mind blanking? <laughs> like I talked about him seven billion times. Um, Javin. Javin. Javin's boy. Yeah. Wow. I'm awful. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, there were there were some times. I'm not saying they're the same type of player. I'm not saying that that, that I'm not making a comp, but there are some times it, he really did contribute in the same kind of way as Emil, which is one of the reasons I am uh, I have started the Javin wagon for next year. I think I love Javin. Yeah, there's a bright uh, future ahead. The Duke Twitter, not not big fans of Javin, but Duke Twitter, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean Emil Jefferson. I could ramble all day about him. What are your thoughts on him? Uh, for he again getting a qualifying offer from the Magic. Yeah, I mean, good, first of all, good for Emil. Emil is, I, I'll tell you right now, Emil is one of my favorite players ever on the Duke campus. If we did a top ten or a top twenty or fifteen, I mean, of uh, Duke players, he would be in it. My wife, as funny as it sounds, my wife, if you ask her who her favorite Duke player of all time is, she will tell you it's Emil Jefferson. And she said he just seems like a good overall. He's just a good guy. You could tell he's a good guy. He's a great teammate. He works hard. He, you know, he doesn't try to do what he's not good at. And, you know, he kind of stays in his lane. And he's a winner. You know, he's a winner. When Duke, every time he was on the court with Duke, Duke was a better team because of him. And, you know, he's a good finisher around the basket. I love Javin. You know, Javin needs to work on his hands this offseason and, and, and catching the basketball. But Emil's just a solid option i think he can sure i mean he's just as good as ken birch who also got you know a qualifying offer so they did bring back brucevich so you know obviously emil's not going to start but i think emil can carve a, a role out in that roster just based on you know his ability to guard and pick and roll also yeah emil always gives off that positive vibe i would say the in terms of recent other guys like that with duke and nolan smith and quinn cook where it's just like they're, everyone loves those guys for good reason. All right, uh, Jabari, sure. yeah, Jabari Parker with the Wizards. I mean, with the Wizards, all they have right now is Brad Beal, who can create a shot. Nobody else can. So I don't see how in any possible way they're not going to pay Jabari Parker. But I don't know. The Wizards don't even have a GM um, right now. So who knows what they'll do. But I think he makes sense with the Wizards. He's had some unfortunate injuries. Obviously, defense is a concern, but he can score. And if you can score, you'll have chances in the NBA. So I just, I'd like to see Jabari do well just because he seems like a good dude. And obviously he's super talented. For sure. I mean, I, I've always been a, a big supporter of Jabari. And, you know, when he, you know, came over to the Chicago Bulls, I was excited to, you know, I'm like, this is going to be a perfect marriage for him. You know, he's coming back to, you know, where he's from. You know, for whatever reason, they didn't play him. I don't, I mean, and, and the Bulls by no means had options that were much better than Jabari Parker. So um, they just, I mean, they, they're they running out, you know. I mean, they're bringing D-League guys up to play and G-League guys. And, and like, he just, and they, they moved him to, to, to uh, the Wizards. And, you know, I do like Otto Porter, who we got in return. But, you know, I just. I think we should have gave him a little more because I think that Jabari, if he can, again, stay healthy. I mean, I think Jabari has, you know, 15, 16, 17 point per game type of potential. And you know, every roster can use a guy like that. Yeah, absolutely. The microwave guy. All right. So you got um, Quinn Cook. Uh, Quinn Cook, there was uh, rumors that uh, the Knicks were interested. I think they signed some other uh, point guard. I think he would. I know the Lakers. 
they basically have like three players on their team right now. They, <laughs> they have they have Kuzma, Braun, and um, Anthony Davis. I don't know who else is even on their team, but I I don't see how. I mean, I don't think Quinn Cook's going to cost a billion dollars. He would be a great fit. Um, I agree for, for the Lakers right there. But uh, he's another guy. It's just I think he he's going to be a great just teammate and good fit on any team. I, I would selfishly hope he uh, is signed by the Lakers. I for for Quinn Cook to play more, I, I think that's something. I mean, I think the Knicks would have been a great, you know, great fit also because you know they did. They you, you mentioned you think they added a point guard. Yeah, they did add Alfred Payton. Yeah, they yeah. added. They had a bunch of guys. They, and they then an, another one too, like a re, like a one year, like three million. So I don't even know what that's about. But yeah, yeah, they added they added Peyton, they added Ellington, they added a couple guys to the Knicks. So I don't know if they're truly still looking to add a Quinn, but you know, there's thoughts out there that he might end up with the Nets too. So hmm. you know, I mean, it would be it would be interesting to see that. I mean, I just wanted to go somewhere where we could play more because I, you know, granted he's not I don't, he's not going to become an elite option at the point guard position, but. He's a really good shooter. He's a really good leader. He plays hard. He's a great pat. Like I just think I'd, I'd love to see him get more playing time. I just don't see that happening in Golden State. Yep, yeah, I, th- I think the Lakers. I mean, that's. I mean, with Braun, just, just get open. I mean, right. He's I, a starter right now. If he's a Laker by default, but a starter nonetheless, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I don't know what they're gonna do if uh, Kawhi signs somewhere else. I mean, that's very interesting. Um, all right, next, uh, let's see here. L- Luol Dang. And let me, I'm actually going to post this on Twitter tomorrow. I actually read a really interesting article about Luol Dang, how I didn't realize he's like this big real estate mogul. Like, he's made a ton of money in his NBA career. And ever since he, he uh, came in the NBA in 2004, he's been getting into real estate. He's hosting these seminars to teach other players about it and about financial security. And it's kind of gone under the radar. He has a, I think it was, it's listed as like $125 million real estate enterprise right now, which is probably going to grow uh, once he gets out of the NBA because, I mean, then he's going to devote his entire time to that. But, I mean, they, this is just he, – he's an incredible dude. I mean, he he's one of the guys – it was before the one and done really took full swing, and everyone completely understood because I think he left Duke after a year. His family needed money, and it was, yeah. it was totally understood and accepted, and everyone really wished wished him well. And then the Bulls played him – I think the average was something like 7,000 minutes a game. So they kind of – who was that? Um, It was – who is the coach? He's out right now. He was the Thibodeau. Coach the, yeah, Thibodeau. He basically ground Luol Dang to a pulp. <laughs> and so he it's did amazing. That to all their players. I know, I know. So it's amazing that Luol Dang can even still move. But uh, <laughs> I, I just thought it was a pretty interesting thing. There's an article in Forbes that I read about him. He played for the T Wolves last year, not with Thibodeau, but um, or was it with? Thibodeau? I don't even know. But um. Like maybe, maybe he, I mean, he would be another great veteran presence if somebody decides to sign him. If not, he's going to be perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to play basketball based on what you just told me. I don't think he's playing basketball anymore for financial reasons. So, <laughs> you know, a guy like that, you know, you can always tell that he was always trying to be a step ahead and like his family. I When he left Duke and they lost in the Final Four that year against UConn, like when he left, I was, you know, I'm like, just come back one more year and – He's one of those, and you say that every year now with the one and done era here. But you know, to take to better your family and to make the decision to to uh, you know just better your family and make and put them in a financial position to be successful. I mean, 
you can't put a price tag on. I mean, you can, but you can't. You know what I mean? It's priceless. So he has the ability to go play basketball, and obviously he's built a nice business there. And he's just a, he seems like a professional, like a pro of all pros. So, you know, nobody's ever said anything bad about him. He always played, you know, when Thibodeau was there. I mean, he was a great two-way player for, for the Bulls. So, you know, I mean, somebody can use him, if, like you said, if nothing else, just for, for a mentor of sorts. Yeah, I mean, his battles with LeBron were some epic stuff. He wasn't scared. He, I'll tell you what, he would, you know, LeBron usually got the better end of that, unfortunately, but um, he, he would stick his nose in there and, you know, Jimmy Butler-esque on defense, and, you know, he wanted to be the guy guarding him, just, you know, it's LeBron's LeBron. So. Yep. I mean, yeah, and, and J.J. Redick, I mean, again, my favorite Duke player of all time, he did, he did not, he was not very successful in the NCAA tournament. I'm just talking about individually. He had his struggles. The one time he did make the Final Four, or one time Duke made the Final Four with Redick, you give a lot of credit to to Luol Deng. Luol Deng was a do-everything player in 2004. That was that was a really fun team, and I'm glad at least J.J. was able to get to the Final Four once, and obviously Duke in general. All right, so let's move on to the guys who are, their, their contracts are locked in. So let's start out, since I've, since I've kind of given my opinion, then... Um, thrown it to you at first. Why don't you uh, go uh, down one by one in terms of the, besides DeVal, the guy, the rookies from last year, and then I'll respond with my opinions. So one by one, you can go down Bagley, um, Giles, Carter, and Allen. I know Giles is technically his second year, but it was really his rookie year. So again, Bagley, Giles, Wendell Carter, and Grace now, and then I'll respond after each. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you wanted to start with um, Bagley, so... I loved Bagley at Duke. I thought Bagley was just that kind of guy that, you know, the game just seemed easy for me to him. I mean, like that's the, the gist that I got watching him. And, you know, once he started getting in, getting um, consistent minutes last year with Sacramento, you could see the type of player that Bagley may turn into. So the, there was a lot of hype going with Bagley when he reclassified and came to Duke, but you know, I think I think Bagley is a all-star type of power forward. I truly do, and I think that, you know, once he's able to develop, you know, you said, you know, I don't know if he uses his right hand. I don't think I've ever seen him use his right hand either. But, you know, <laughs> I think I think that I I think he out of that whole class, I think he's he's the one that has superstar potential. Yeah, are you including just the Duke class or yeah, the Duke class? I'm sorry, okay. yeah, because I thought we, yeah, I thought we were just gonna run down the yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I thought you were like including him with like Luca Doncic. I'm like, I, I'm oh a, no, I'm a pretty big fan of Luca. <laughs> I, I think Luke is pretty much there. I think that's pretty safe to say. Him and Trey and guys like that are pretty much stape, uh, already have uh, cemented themselves as is you know great players. So yeah, yeah. No, I, to- I totally agree with um. Yeah, I mean Bagley. It's just about consistency on defense. But I, I liked what I saw. In terms of his jumper, which was not used nearly enough at Duke, it was just once in a while he would kind of – it was an above-the-break three when defenses were playing off him. But I think he could have been used a lot more in the pick-and-pop and just the pick-and-roll in general, just a lot more versatility, which is something I've harped on a lot with Duke, especially when we'll get to Wendell Carter, who's not used nearly to his capabilities. But I think Bagley's jumper, it was hot and cold. I think that's something – I love the way he shoots it. So I think if you can get more consistent there, I think he's, he, at times he showed the passing ability. Defense needs work. But as I've said the whole time with Bagley, it's about 
just really developing some sort of right because if he can develop a right i mean he's a pogo stick i've never seen anyone kind of get up so quickly especially on the second bounce as Bagley. and it's just that's it's a rare rare ability so i i, I love his future yeah yeah I do, I do too and i think i i think we'll be seeing him in 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 all-star games pretty soon uh, so the next one up will be Wendell Carter. I would say. Well, before again, that, if you don't mind, let's just stay with the Kings. How about how about Giles? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of look at Giles like you mentioned. He's a, you know, he's a second year player. Kind of redshirted his rookie year there. So, um, you know, I, I think Giles is, you know, your ultimate, like your typical motor guy. So the guy that, you know, would, you know, energy, 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 and you know, he's always, you know, I. I follow him and stuff on social media. So I see like a lot of his, like, he's very uplifting. He's very, you know, he's been through a lot, you know, injury wise through Duke and, and in Sacramento, you know, he, he keeps, keeps working. And I, I, I think, you know, I think he has a chance to, you know, carve out a decent role in the NBA and work alongside with Bagley. And, you know, I just, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think he's ever going to, you know, come close to the potential that was, you know, out of this world when he came to Duke. Yeah, I mean, you you hear about guys who played against him in high school and AAU, and he was just like, this guy is the next Chris Webber. Yeah, so, he's yeah, different. Yeah, so the, the knee injuries, shredding the knee, it's just really unfortunate. And I know he had a thigh injury that caused him to miss um, the last about month of last year, but he was saying, like, that's the first time he's felt healthy in a while. In about 20 minutes a game, he was putting up 10 and 5, and he mm-hmm. was making a difference as that guy who can – we really, you can give the ball to uh, right at the free throw line and make plays almost like when a team plays a zone against you, you're looking to hit that middle of the zone um, to make a play from there. Giles, he that's what he can do, um, zone or not, um, to just be able to shoot a jumper, to be able to drive, score himself, to be able to play with his back to the basket, great passer. He has all the abilities. It's just about his body holding up. And I hope it does. I mean, because, again, I mean, Giles was another one that I enjoyed watching. And, you know, I just hope that uh, I hope that he could, you know, try to salvage what what unfortunately he lost at Duke and so far in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, now to Wendell. Um, Wendell, I, I watched him play a lot this year at, at being a Bulls fan, but um, I just I don't know. Like I, some people would argue and I had this argument you know, with not an argument, but just a disagreement that everybody's like, you know, Bagley, 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 Bagley at Duke. But I personally thought overall that the best player on our team was Wendell Carter that year. So I think he was just more, you know, he was better defensively. He was a better rebound. Well, he wasn't a better rebounder, but he was better defensively. He was a great free throw shooter, you know, good mid-range jump shot. And when he fouled out of that Kansas game, I knew we were in trouble, but you know, I, I like him. I think he'll start, like he's a perfect guy to have alongside of Markinen. Because they do different things well. They complement each other well. You know, Markinen's more of the, you know, stretch three-point shooter, you know, that type of player. And I think Carter, you know, I think he's big enough to, to handle the bigs down low. I think Carter is a – could be a double-double guy nightly just based on the fact that, you know, he's very good at – he's not as elite, you know, athletically as these other guys are. But he understands the game and his positioning is very well. So I think – He's a really good. He's a really good rebounder, and I just I'm a huge fan of Wendell Carter. So I won't say anything negative about him because that's just the type of guy that I think Wendell Carter is, and 
he's he I, I think he'll just grow into being you know, he'll just continue to add to his game and maybe become a little more efficient. Yeah, I, I think with Wendell Carter, it's about him understanding how his abilities can help the team the best. And it's other people understanding that a guy can have a huge contribution to a team without putting up massive amounts of points. With, with Bagley, you're going to see it a lot easier just by looking at surface-level box score stuff like points and rebounds. I mean, that's what most points, rebounds, assists. That's what most people are going to look at. They don't go deeper than that, and if you haven't seen them play, you might not see the actual impact on the team. Wendell, Wendell Carter, he might be a guy. I predicted he's he's probably maybe at times he can be a 15 and 10 guy at the end of his career. I would say he's going to be about a 12 and 8, but he's going to contribute assists, steals. I mean, offensive rebounds. He's going to be an energy guy. He's going to be a very high IQ, intelligent player. So. I think as long as he accepts that he's not an alpha scorer, which sometimes I think he, based on what he says, he feels he is, I, I think he's going to really, really do well for the Bulls because I think he's a guy that can help them. I mean, I, I like what they're starting to put together with uh, with Kobe White, with Markinen. Um, I mean, even Sadoransky, who was one of the – few bright spots on the Wizards to maybe back up Kobe White and help him. I, I, I think there's a, there's reasons for um, optimism in Chicago, and I think Wendell Carter, who unfortunately missed um, the last part of the season, or unfortunately a major part of the season, with a thumb injury, I think he's got to stop. I keep reading this stuff about how he's going to prove people wrong in terms of the people who doubted him. Like, dude, like... Just I, be you. Exactly, and that's one thing that I worry about with like Harry Giles too. It's like I hope these guys aren't spending too much time on social media because even at Duke, I would keep seeing like people like retweet him saying like everyone's hating. I'm going to prove all the haters wrong. I'm like, dude, you have so much support. Like, there's always going to be these awful kind of faction of people who just hate everything. Like. You have support and just believe in yourself, and you are awesome. Like, don't worry about that. So, I, when if Wendell Carter just kind of gets down to business and focuses on the positivity, which hey, it's easier said than than done. I have thin skin. Anybody says anything to me on Twitter, I I I, I, I kind of yeah. I mean, it's easier said than done to just one ear out the other. So, uh, but I love Wendell Carter's future. Yeah, I, I agree in it. And as a Bulls fan, when they landed uh, Wendell Carter, I thought. You know, at the team needs that they had, and, and now the pieces they're adding, you know, around him now. I think I, I again, I, I like the Bulls' directions they're going to. They're young, you know, and they're and, and they're building it through the draft and, and and through free agents that actually fit their type of scheme, which I think Wendell does. Okay, let's finish up with Grayson. So Grayson, Grayson just, uh, you know, Grayson, it was weird. Grayson had one of those years where, you know, I, he he did he played pretty well in. In the uh, summer league, he played pretty well, you know, had some opportunities. And, you know, you could tell Donovan Mitchell was, you know, excited to, you know, play with him, you know, him more. And he just, for whatever reason, he didn't, he just didn't catch on early in the season. So now, you know, now that, um, now that he's moved on, I think he may have a chance to have a bigger role in, in Memphis. So, you know, I, I just I always worry about guys like that, you know. And I'll, I'll, I'm interested to hear your your uh, train of thought on that too. But players that are traded after their rookie year, so like he wasn't even really given an opportunity to be a, a contributor on that roster, and now now they're already moving him along. 
Um, who's like that kind of he worries. was he was part of the Conley trade, right? Yeah, so he was traded. So he was traded to the um, Grizzlies with for Conley, um, and he was shipped over with Corver and Jay Crowder and the twenty third overall pick and a future first, which I thought was pretty uh, pretty steep for Conley. I mean, I think Conley's a good player, but um, I, I don't know. I feel I feel like Grayson. Grayson has the ability. I think Grayson has, you know, the ability to be a scorer. He's a good shooter, and he obviously has really good athleticism. So I just was a little, I thought that was a little strange. They moved him for a point guard when they already had, and then they moved on from Rubio. But maybe they just didn't think he'd ever crack the roster with with Mitchell. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was just more about they they really really wanted a point guard so they could play Mitchell off ball more. And Rubio, he's been injured and just really inconsistent on defense and with his shot. So I think it was just the priority. Grayson, you never know. I mean, sometimes we do prioritize potential over knowing what you're going to get. And with Conley, he, he's a guy like a, a Drew Holiday type. You just you know what you're going to get. And for right now, that, they might consider that more important. I, I do. I'll admit I like the moves that the that the Jazz made over the off season in terms of how it could affect them for next year. So yeah, I mean with Grayson, it's just about him really finding that role. Again, he's mm-hmm. not going to have the ball in his hands. Coach K, he always found found a reason to have Grayson be the initiator of the offense, even though. His natural role is off-ball. I always wanted him to be a spot-up shooter, but every single year after his freshman year, he would start off-ball, and then gradually Coach K would move him on-ball because he kept recruiting point guards who were not great spot-up shooters, which unfortunately is what Duke point guards are expected to be when they come to Duke, which is one reason why I'm very interested to see how Trey Jones is is used, but that's a whole different conversation. But Grayson, he always had the ball in his hands at Duke. So now in the NBA, hopefully he can play his more natural role, catch and shoot, because he is athletic. I, having said that, it, it's funny because you look at these highlights from like 2015, 2016, he was crazy. There were times like at that point I compared – his offensive style in some ways, I'm not saying the same player, but to Dwayne Wade in terms of how he would just always attack the basket. Like it's almost like settling for a spot up shot. That's for suckers. You're going to take it to the rim no matter what. And he would just seek contact and he was just a rocket ship going to the rim and he would get nicked up here and there. And by the time his senior year came around, he's still again, super athletic. He's just not, he doesn't have quite the same athleticism as he started out, but right now he's playing on a super athletic team that I think wants to run and gun with um, with John ja Morant, with, with Jaron Jackson, and with with Gonzaga Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark, uh, yeah. Yeah, who I, I love all three of those guys. Super athletic team. I don't even know who else is on their team. To be, to be honest, like Grayson, I mean, there's a chance there. There is a chance, and I was about to say Grayson did show he could – uh, contribute when given the minutes because uh, I remember he had a 40 point game. I'm looking at it now. He was he was shot 11 for 30. It was the last game of the season, so it's not exactly an efficient 40 point game. But hey, I mean at least he could score. It proved in some way, um, even if it was probably against backups. But I think yeah, it's just him just make quality decisions. It's about the same thing as like Quinn Cook. Quinn Cook, he's not he was he's not running the Warriors offense. Uh, really like a true point guard. He's just kind of keeping it moving and then hitting those spot-up shots 
and that's what his role is or was with the Warriors. So I think Grayson, as long as he can accept that role, then he'll be fine as long as he doesn't go in thinking like he's going to be the main guy like at Duke. And I would think he's smart enough to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and you had a good point there, you know, having a guy like Ja will give him the ability, his ability to break down. I mean, you know, we all see, we've all seen uh, John Morant's highlights from this year and stuff. And again, we'll see, you know, if he truly is a Westbrook type player that people are comparing him to. But, you know, he'll, he'll have his opportunity to get shots, you know. I mean, in, in looking at their roster, I mean, they have Corver, they have C.J. Miles, they have, you know, some decent pieces. They have, you know, Avery Bradley. But, I mean, Grayson has just as good of a chance of, of being the starting two guard there that any of those guys do. So, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe he has good, you know, good summer leagues. I'm pretty sure he will, you know, get a full summer league in if they if they participate in summer league, which I'm sure they will. And, you know, I think I, I think that Grayson will have a much bigger and much more consistent role this year than obviously he did last. So. Yeah, because, I mean, Duke players used to be known as not being great NBA players and because it's about just how the offense was designed to get a quality shot. Then and then it turned into how either you better be able to beat your defender off the dribble one one on one, or, or you're you, watching, or, or or you're watching, or you develop a, a really locked in definitive role like a Shane Battier, a three and D guy, or JJ Redick. I mean JJ Redick's just he's he's kind of an outlier in terms of his work ethic and his attention to detail, which made him more than just your typical shooter. I mean guys that. They might have been great players in college, but they can't beat their defender off the dribble, and then you can't trust him in a specific role. I mean, it's it's, it's tough going. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, Jason Tatum, Um, how do you feel about Tatum? I I love Tatum. I think Tatum is, you know, is going to take a huge step forward in the sense that, you know, I think he's going to be relied a little more heavily on their scoring. So, like, he had a nice rookie year. I remember his rookie year and him, you know, he had a much better rookie year than he did, you know, last year when they brought in Hayward. And I don't, their team was weird to me last year. I don't know. Like, it, they seemed they seemed to be a little their, – their chemistry wasn't very good. Kyrie, didn't they didn't really gel very well together. So, it's just – I think now that if he's given a consistent role, I think he has the ability to, you know, like a Jalen Brown to, you know, he has the ability to be a, a go-to type scorer. And I mean, he's, I think he's still like 19 years old or something like that. So he, now I'm a huge Tatum supporter. I think Tatum will be, you know, is a perfect type guy in that roster. It's just, they have so many guys on that roster that do the same thing. That's my issue is, you know, and they keep bringing in guys who do the same thing and, I just don't know if they view him as a better option than Jalen Brown, if they view him as a better option than Gordon Hayward. I guess time will tell, but I think Tatum has, you know, I think he has all-star potential. I think Gordon Hayward's going to have a major effect on that team of whether he can be a playmaker because, well, uh, this puts me on an island, for uh, at least from the majority of the general public, I wasn't a huge fan of the Kemba Walker signing, and that does not mean I'm I'm a, not a fan of Kemba. I love Kemba. He basically plays the same exact style as Kyrie. And 
if there's not going to be on offense just taking turns with guys being ball dominant, then Hayward's going to have to be someone who initiates a large part of the offense because in the same way Kyrie, I've always been a bit down on whether he actually makes teammates better. It's the same thing with Kemba. Obviously, Kemba had crap for teammates in Charlotte. I don't know if anyone's had worse teammates. But even so, I'm not sure if he made them better at all. At all, He's very ball dominant. He's very ISO heavy. And I think Tatum, I was very excited for him to possibly have the chance to be an alpha guy. And now I just, I want him to be put in the position where he is just given the confidence to do not defer. Like, you can you it is time for you to have the chance to take over this team because I think that's what happened with the Celtics. He would defer to Kyrie. And while Kyrie and LeBron, that worked kind of taking time taking turns um with uh ISOing. Tatum, he's just so young. I think he's still kind of adjusting to whatever role and if it keeps if it keeps changing I think that's a bit detrimental. I think he has to get that mentality of, dude, this is you. This is your team. Even as young as you are, I think he has a chance to be an alpha. And anything less than that will hinder his development. That's just my thoughts. I'm not saying that's right. But I think with him, it could be as much mental as anything. Because in terms of skill set, this guy, I think he should be the alpha for the Celtics next season. Yeah, I mean, he has it all offensively. (laughs) You know what I mean? He has the he has the ability to shoot. He has the ability to create. He has the ability to post. He has the ability. He's a great rebounder. Like he he is, you know, the type of he's like your prototypical type of alpha player. Like uh, uh, both offensively. I mean, he can play some defense too. Tatum was a was a little underrated in my opinion defensively at Duke as well. Like he played. You know, he's long. He's athletic. He's lean a little bit. But I just I think that you're right. I think that if he if he's not given the opportunity, he'd be the type of guy that will will have a huge market for elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, one thing, tighten up the dribble a little bit, because if you are going ISO, I think he, he's a little loose right there. But uh, one, another thing, I think his passing is very underrated, and uh, I'm sure many remember his fantastic kickout to uh, Matt Jones to win the ACC championship in 2017. The uh, four, what was that, three, three games, three days, or four games, Four days. It, was, it was four games, four days. So I was actually, I was actually at that turn. That was in Brooklyn, the first year they had it in Brooklyn. I, um, so I went. I had tickets. They played Clemson the first game, and they beat Clemson pretty good. Um, then the next day, my wife and I were sitting around. We're like, "What should we do?" I mean, there's nothing going on. We got tickets to Duke Louisville for eighteen dollars total. Really? So yeah, it was a day game, and you know, most people work were working during. Uh, that Thursday, and Duke ended up winning that game against a large part because of Luke Kennard was playing out of his mind in that game. But um, then they ended up playing the next day against Carolina and stuff. But he was, you know, you could just tell that he just, there was just something about him watching him. Like, he's very fluid. He's very, you know, he's very fluent in, in his motions. He's just a really, really good basketball player who just needs to be given the opportunity. And I think. You know, with them saying there's no way we're trading Tatum for AD, I'm hoping that the reason why they did that was to make Tatum their guy. So, Yeah, actually, a year before in 2016, um, I had tickets for uh, for the final, and uh, the ACC final in D.C., 
and Luke Kennard missed a uh, he 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 missed I think it was about a free throw about about a free throw line distance jumper um, as time expired in regulation, which could have won the game. And then they lost in overtime, I believe that was to Notre Dame. That would have allowed me to see an ACC tournament final between Duke and UNC. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But uh, oh. yeah, so that was, that was rough. All right, um, let's see. Justice Winslow, what are your thoughts on Winslow? I think Winslow is. He, uh, I think he's pretty much been consistent since he's come into the league. I mean, he he was the same type of player Duke. I mean, when Duke made him, when when Duke put him at the four, I mean, that completely turned Duke into a complete different team in 2015. They made you know his versatility, his ability to defend. His, you know, he's still not a very you know he's not a very consistent shooter, but he's just a strong athletic guy that will, I mean, you put him on any roster, he'll have the similar role on every roster. He's just the kind of guy that can guard any, you know, sometimes can guard one through five, depending on who that five might be. But I, I just, I'd like Winston, Winston's game. I mean, Winslow's game. I just think that, you know, he, he just, if he can't create more of a shot and he can't, He's not a real great creator off the ball. He's a good post type of player. He's just, to me, he's he's just a good player to have on a team. Obviously, he's never going to become any sort of, you know, all-star type player. But he's the type of guy you could see on a championship level team being a huge contributor, a guy that can get a stop at the end of the game, a guy that, you know, brings energy and brings toughness to your team. Because anytime I hear of Winslow, I think of, you know, he's just, he's just, the one word I would sum him up as is just he's, he's tough. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's actually, I told you, I, um, I'm i not sure this was when we started recording or not, but I, I scouted three Duke players in high school. It was Kyrie, it was Winslow, Frank Jackson. And yep. Winslow, I was so impressed by him that I actually wrote this big uh, article about how he was kind of bringing the attitude back to Duke that hadn't been in there since Dante Jones. He was having that same type of effect. It was this big feature I wrote. And yeah, so I would absolutely agree. He has he has the toughness, he has the attitude, and I would even push back against some of what you said in terms of the creative ability. Because um, I will admit, there's not too many shows I listen to, but uh, Lebertard show is one. So I do hear more than uh, more about Miami-based things than uh, most. And Winslow was actually the point guard um, towards the end of the year, especially when Dragic was injured. And it reminded me of how often I pointed out in 2015, Winslow was the one initiating the half-court offense a lot of the time. He was the he was a playmaker a lot of the time. Much of it was kind of creating shots for himself, but he also proved the ability to create for others, even if his assist totals weren't too high. And I just remember saying that over and over. He was a guy that Coach K trusted kind of the same way, this, the veteran um, types to have the ball in key moments. And looking at his stats, I mean, he shot over 37% from three the past two years, uh, 38% two years ago, 37.5 uh, last year. His assists, went they went up um, to 4.3 rebounds, 5.4. Uh, he's averaging 12.6 points. I mean, this is, this is like a triple-double threat, and the offense was running pretty well. Obviously, Miami... It's tough because when you have guys putting up stats for teams that aren't doing too well, you never know how legit those stats are. And again, I'm watching Duke all the time. I don't get to see a ton of regular season action. So I hate 
just looking at stats and saying, oh, this is good, this is bad, because there's a lot of context in terms of how they occurred. But, I mean, from what I heard and from what I see looking at them, I think there's there's it's interesting. I, I would say his, his ability to finish at the rim would probably be the biggest concern. He's not very successful there, so he needs to finish better there. But I think he's actually – it's impressed me the way he's proven even more versatile than I thought coming out of Duke, and I already thought he would be a versatile kind of defensive stopper. So – I'm, I don't know how it's going to go in the future form, but I'm intrigued with the way he's been able to carve out a role when after, let's say, a year or two in Miami, many were considering him a possible bust. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right in terms of – you're absolutely right in terms of his ability to um, you know, initiate – you know, because he, he's always been a really – he's always a really good passer. He's always a really good decision maker with the ball. I just think, unfortunately, he's a little limited in his offensive game and that, you know, in the NBA, that's it's tough to have guys like that. And, and the addition of Jimmy Butler, I don't know how that's going to affect Winslow. Um, it, it may help him, you know, give him another option there. But I do. I mean, I I've always liked Winslow. I've always liked Winslow's toughness. And I think he'll always he'll always have a role based purely on, on, on just being the guy who's who's fearless on the court for them. OK, Plumlee's. I know Mason as the backup to uh, Jokic. I mean, he doesn't have the shot, but he could provide some of the same sort of uh, skill set in terms of just doing everything as Jokic does. But I will say they might uh, – I think they signed some other big – I don't know. They might want someone who can be even more the same type as Jokic so they don't have to totally change the offense when he comes out because Mason, his inability to spread the floor – it is, it is tough um, for, for a team to have to totally change their style when their main guy goes out. So, But he's on the last year of his contract. Miles is on the last year of his contract with the Hawks. I'll be honest, I have no idea how Miles did with the Hawks, but both are on the last year of their deals. So after seeing what the Lopez brothers did, um, they, uh, they came together yesterday. I'm, I'm thinking maybe the Plumleys, they're in, they're in the lab cooking up a little uh, – plan to uh, have a Plumlee reunion, maybe even bring Marshall, too. I'm not sure <laughs> what's going on with him. So that's about all I can say about the Plumleys right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think Mason obviously has the best opportunity of the three to to continuously land on a roster and, and, and have meaningful minutes. I mean, I, I think that would be cool. I think that would be awesome to have, you know, them two or potentially all three reunite. That would be, uh, you know, good to see. But I just – yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, the Nuggets with Millsap and with with um, with Jokic there. I mean, there's just not. I mean, there's not just not a good opportunity to get minutes without a significant injury. And you know, like you said, they might look elsewhere to find somebody with a little more suitable. Uh, you know, you talk about a triple double every day. I mean, Jokic is Jokic is pretty much almost penciled in for one of those a night. So it's hard to to get on the court with with that type of talent in front of you. So I hope they land on their feet somewhere. I think they can, you know, bring some athleticism and bring some toughness to a team. But, you know, like you said, that's really all. That's really all I see in the cards right now for the Plumlee brothers. Okay, honorary Dukies. We got Sean Livingston. I believe he is likely retired from the Warriors. Love him. Love his story. Shemi Ojale. I'm not quite sure what's happening with him. I, I think just his bulk. I, I think he can he can carve out a role or at least. He can be somewhere in the rotation, 
for some team. I should have looked him up. Do you have any idea what's going on? I know he used to be with the Celtics. Is he still with the Celtics? So I think he's still on his rookie contract with the Celtics. Okay. Um, but, you know, they added. So I'm looking, and, and yeah, he's he's still with the Celtics. But my, my concern is now um, is that they added, you know, they added Grant Williams from Tennessee. So, I mean, is that a better semi? I don't know. I mean, it just depends on, I don't know what is, he, he played some minutes last year. I remember watching him play some minutes last year. I'm always impressed by the, you know, when he left to go to SMU and he, he looked like a linebacker when he got to LSU, I mean, SMU, but I don't know. I hope he, I, I just don't, I don't know if he's, that team's pretty deep. So I don't know what, what his chances are of cracking the, the Celtics rotation. And with all the forwards that they have already, I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, I checked his his contract. Yeah, he you're right. He does it's this year and next year. But I mean, he's kind of like a Glenn Big Baby Davis, where he has that mid range. But I'm not sure how how much value a guy who's built like the Incredible Hulk um, can have shooting mid range jumpers. So, and I love Grant Williams. I do love Grant Williams. So we'll we'll see what happens there. All right, let's uh, let's look at some other guys. I mean, we got uh, in terms of ex Dukies. Who are uh, who are retired or somewhere in the media? We got. Uh, I'll go to every. Should I do every? Maybe every three players, and then um, I'll allow you to jump in um, with whatever you'd like to say. We got Quinn Snyder coaching the Jazz. He has developed a totally new reputation since his struggles at Missouri. So it's great to see him having success there. Donovan Mitchell loves him. When your star player loves you, it's a good sign. Um, and the Jazz, like I, I said before, they've made some great moves. Dante Jones, I know he's in the media right now. He is uh, I, hes one of my favorite Dukies of all time, and I think he's a great media presence. Uh, Jason, who I refuse to ever call Jay Williams in the college media, I mean, he does his thing. He's also in the boardroom. Uh, he does the boardroom at some show with Kevin Durant. So there were arguments that he knew what was going on with Durant before Durant actually announced, which is always interesting. Um, but uh, I think Jay, he, he he's, a, he's a bit divisive in terms of how some think of him in the media. I really, I mean, guys in the studio, I really don't care much. I mean, I have opinions about guys who actually call games but i mean jay's fine <laughs> so yeah uh, so quinn snyder dante jones jay williams so so quinn snyder i i was always you know there's a very short list of guys i would be okay with filling in for coach k if coach k I, you know, i'm under the assumption that coach k is always just going to be at duke the rest of my life and every in his life and another life and you know i just think that you know i, I just can't picture duke without coach k but, you know, a guy like Quinn Snyder, guy, I've thrown around the names like Brad Stevens and, you know, guys like that that would be – I think Quinn Snyder has, has always been a great coach and, and has always gotten their guys to, to play like a, like a blue-collar type of, you know, roll your sleeves up and tough type of basketball, and that's what the Jazz play. So I, I, I love Snyder and what he's been able to do. Um, you know, it's, it's – it, it, you know, I, I just, I'm not a huge, you know, it's hard to watch. The Jazz are not very often, you know, where I live. So, you know, we, I, I don't get to see, you know, him as much as I'd like. But, um, you know, I look at the, you know, Jay Will. I, I watch a lot of the ESPN. Um, 
you know, the, with, with Greenberg and those guys, I mean, I think he's a really good analyst. Like you said, he doesn't really do um, the the games or the analyst part, port, uh, portion of the games like Billis and guys like that. So um, I just, I don't know. I, I, as a Bulls fan, I'm heartbroken that he still never had the chance to become a Bull. So, well, or at least live out his career as a Bull. So I, he'll always be near and dear to my heart, Jason Williams, but you know, it's, I don't really get into, I, I don't really watch the show that he's on. So I don't really know much in, in terms of that. So we got Jay Billis, Mike Jaminski, Corey Maggette. Jay Billis, I think he is uh, he's he's one of the best, if not the best, color commentary guys for college. Sean Farnham, I would argue, is the other one. I don't feel like Sean Farnham has ever been given the spot like like he should. But Jay Billis, it's as long as he doesn't kind of go off too often on rants about the NCAA. I think he's a great. Uh, color guy, especially when he breaks down plays, which doesn't happen often enough in college. Uh, Mike Jaminski, I really hope he gets a chance with the ACC network because um, I thought he was a great color commentator there. Um, and Corey Maggette, I think he's involved in the big three. He's been in the media. And unfortunately, I do have to mention there has been the off-court accusations of rape and whether it is true or not, it should be mentioned no matter what because that's nothing to joke about. So whether it's true or not, hopefully they get to the bottom of what's going on with that because it kind of came, then it went away. And I'm not saying if it's true or not, but that's something that should be mentioned. So Billis, uh, Jaminski, and Coy McGinn. Yeah. Um, so Billis, I, I think – I think Billis, you know, me personally, I think Billis is the best um, analyst that that does the college basketball games because I think he does a good job of actually, you know, talking basketball but talking the importance. He's always – and you see his stand is always, you know, the, the players. He always thinks that the players should be taken care of and the players are, you know, everybody keeps making money. He mentions everybody makes money off of, you know – Duke University and all these other schools, but the players are the ones who are truly making that possible. So, like, I like Billis. I like, you know, I don't, I don't think he's very biased at all toward Duke, which makes him, you know, uh, like people respect him because there's some guys that are just so biased toward their team that it's clearly evident, and he's not like that. So, I like listening to him, and, and if he thinks that a call went the wrong way or a call went this way, I, I just think his 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 ability to be insightful is 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 refreshing because he's so knowledgeable about the game, but he also you know can separate himself from being you know a blue devil if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jaminski, I thought Jaminski was great on the ACC network, watching you know a couple of the games. I don't remember exactly what games they were. I know um, Boston College was on it, and a couple of them like. He just, I loved, I thought Jaminski was great. I thought Jaminski, you know, I was hoping that he would potentially get into the ESPN games and stuff as well. Because this year was one of those weird years, like I live in New York, so uh, all Duke games were always televised regardless because they're Duke. I mean, let's just be realistic, but. Yeah, we're lucky. Yes, we are very lucky. And, and, but they, you know, I, I had two games, I think, that were on ACC Network this year with Jaminski, but I did watch all the ACC games that he did as well. Well, well real quick, um, I mean, I think that was Raycom. In terms of the yes. ACC yes. Network, that's actually just coming out now. So one of the things I'm wondering, I don't know if they've even announced. I think they might have announced, like, Corey Alexander might be on it, but I'm, maybe I missed it. 
I'm hope like that's what I said. I'm hoping Jaminski is one of the commentators for the new ACC network. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It was Raycom, but but the channel I have Spectrum, so the channel that it shows says says ACC network for whatever oh, okay. reason. All right, like that's what it shows in the newspaper or whatever. But I think yeah, I don't think it truly starts until this season. The actual so I, I mean I hope they bring him on. I thought Corey, I think Corey Alexander is a pretty good analyst too. I think they're good together. But I think Jaminski, you know, it would would be a good add and 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 would be you know I I'd like listening to him and then Maggetti. Yeah, the the whole allegations about Maggetti. I remember first reading that and I didn't even know what to expect. I mean because it's like you know that's a Duke player that I really liked a lot at Duke. You know and and now you look back and. You know, I did see him involved a little bit in the with the three on three and the big three um, tournaments and stuff. But you know, I hope, like you mentioned, I hope they get to the bottom of it and you know, for for everybody's sake involved. And you know, I just hope that you know, what whatever you know, wherever the chips fall. And I hope that you know, if, if it's something that he truly did do, then that's something that you know, obviously has to be handled and whatever. But you know, we you I haven't heard anything since February about it, so. Right. It's very, very hush right now about Maggetti. So I don't, I don't, I don't truly know what the next step is in that process. So. David McClure, Marty Poshis, and Gerald Henderson. McClure, uh, when I did my uh, my top ten favorite Dukies in a bet, it was either four, 2015, I believe. He was actually my honorable mention, my plus one, just because I, I loved what he contributed to Duke. And it was like one of that those turnaround periods of time, the bridge, one of those bridge teams to the new uh, to be able to kind of get the program back on track. And he was a great glue guy. I just loved everything he contributed to Duke. And now he is the head of Pacers player development, the Indiana Pacers. So I, I, I'm not doesn't surprise me at all. Very, he's very much a people person. Love McClure. Love everything about McClure. Marty Poshis. He's actually I didn't realize this. I actually saw it from his Duke account. He is a Nuggets basketball operations associate. So uh, that's pretty cool. Love Marty at Duke. He had uh, major injury issues. Always tough. Gerald Henderson. He is uh, he works for Fox Sports South and he does some Hornets color commentary. So uh, that's pretty cool for him. He is always very eloquent in the way he speaks. So that will work for color commentary. And uh, lastly, we have Billy King and Danny Ferry, ex-GMs looking for new GM jobs. So we'll see how that goes. Billy King, I think he's still kind of suffering from the the old uh, what was that? The Celtics trades where he basically gave up picks for the next 25 million years in order to get uh, Paul Pierce and all them and yeah, Garnett. Um, yes. And Danny Ferry, there are some, uh, there's some allegations against him also, I believe. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but yeah. So finishing up David McClure, Marty Poshis, Gerald Henderson, Billy King and Danny Ferry. Yeah. So we actually talked briefly about, you know, our, our, equal love for McClure. McClure was one of those guys that, you know, would, would dive face first into a brick wall for you to save a, you know, to save the ball. So he, you know, it doesn't come to, to surprise me that he is the head of player development, you know, who, who better to learn from than the guy that would potentially, you know, I mean, everybody can shoot, everybody can score, everybody can do that stuff, but the ability to just, you know, find the right people and have people, and you mentioned that everybody was a huge fan of McClure as a person. I, I don't find that shocking at all. Posius, I was, we used to follow Posius a lot when he was playing, I, I believe he was playing in 
like in a Russian league or something like that. Or, or he was playing overseas, and you know now to see him make the move into the, you know, basketball operations and stuff through the Nuggets, I thought, I thought that was a good move for Postius. I always liked watching Postius play. I remember when they played VCU. The moment I remember the most of Postius was when Duke was playing um, VCU in that tournament. And he had a huge dunk, which I. I know he had athleticism. I know he had underrated shot. hops. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it looked like he jumped from mid court. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and I just, you know, I, I was surprised to see that Gerald Henderson. You, know, you could always tell Gerald Henderson had that. Um, he had a, like a swag about him and stuff that that you know he was very good. You know, very good speaker when you saw him like give interviews and stuff. I was upset that he left after his junior year and he ended up winning the championship the next year because I do think that he was one of those players that played at Duke and deserved to, to win a title. Unfortunately, he never did. So, you know, I'm glad he's able to, you know, have a good, he carved out a nice career in the NBA and then was able to, you know, stay with the Hornets organization. And as for Billy King and Danny Ferry, I mean, I, I hope they both find something. I, I'm not really sure exactly what, what's going on with the allegations for, on, about Ferry. And, you know, I just know that, you know, they, they're very good basketball minds. So, you know, whether they land in a different capacity than a GM, I do. I, I think they'll find something in basketball. I just don't know. Don't know exactly where because, you know, the GM position is pretty scrutinized these days now. So, Absolutely. And I, I will say um, with uh, Henderson, um, I mean, the, he has had some injury issues. The last one, we were talking about Achilles before. When that Achilles snapped, he was just like, you know what, that's it. And I can't blame him because, I mean – after his other injuries, I think that was at least the third um, Duke player to have that happen. Christian Leitner, m- not many remember, he was actually coming off a season where he averaged like 18 and 10 with the Hawks. His career was kind of on the uh, on the comeback, and then he, he tore his Achilles, never the same. And I, I know he was kind of with the Wizards towards the end of his career. It was just he was not even the same type of player. And then everyone remembers Elton Brand. He went from being one of the most dominant guys inside then one when he tore his achilles he couldn't even like jump at all you could slide a piece of paper underneath his feet which it's it's tough so elton brand actually he's somebody who i didn't list um on here he's doing you you could say i don't know i mean the sixers he needs to get a shooter because it almost seems like they're allergic to, to perimeter shooters but i mean with the moves he's made since taking over well, it's kind of a wait and see, but he he has a good roster, and they might even be the favorites if Kawhi leaves uh, Toronto. So he's doing a good job as the GM. All right, so um, I sent you the list of uh, the rest. We have coaches. You wanna you wanna uh, go down the first uh, kind of crop of coaches? Yeah, sure. So so the first up on the list would be uh, Wojo Steve Wojowski. I. You know, I always was a huge Wojo fan at Duke because he was another one that was just gritty and didn't have, you know, elite athleticism, but but made up for all that with his anticipation, his ability, his understanding of the game. And you could tell that Wojo's you could tell Wojo was a was a film kind of guy. So, you know, I like what he's done in Marquette. I think that um, I'd like to see him have a little more success in the tournament. Um, he's had some good teams, and I noticed that. There were some people were scrutinizing him a little, uh, a little bit about when the, um, when the, when the, uh, the brothers left there this year to one of them transferred. I forget where the other one transferred. The other one went to Virginia, um, 
when they both left for from Marquette and they were saying the Hauser brothers were there mentioned that maybe they didn't have a great relationship with Wojo. I'm not sure how that worked, but I, I think from what I've watched, his energy is great. And I think that, you know, he's a great leader. The other one on the list is Tyler Thornton. And all anytime I ever think about Tyler Thornton, all I can think about is his bank three in the Maui Invitational um, to beat Kansas, essentially. Did that, did, so, did that, did that actually bank? I, yo, I think I'm almost positive he banked that in. So I, I, I'd, I have, believe <laughs> I'd have to pull it back up and see. It was just one of those where he just kind of flung that thing up and – you know, no one, no one in the room, myself included, thought that ball had any shot of going in. And when it did, it was, you know, just great. He was just a great teammate, a great player to have on your roster. And, you know, I could see him eventually getting into, you know, a role. And Chris Collins would be the next one on the list. I've, he had such a good first year with Northeastern. I mean, with, with Northwestern, but I don't know, they just – for whatever reason, they're not. And that's a tough place to succeed. It's it's tough to recruit for whatever reason. I mean, it's it you know they just don't get you just don't get the type of recruits that that all these other schools are getting. And in this type of era that we're in, with the one and done era and all that, it's it's tough to not bring in some five star type guys and compete just because. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think when you think of schools like Duke, that's not a school where it's very easy to compete just because of the high academic standards. I mean, right. schools like that, I would say Stanford, Vanderbilt, and Northwestern. Those are those are some. I mean, like even Georgia Tech. You get like Bobby Cremens used to be able to to get a lot of, to, of top recruits. Once he left, they've really struggled, except for that one random year. I, I, that was two thousand four. Um, but besides that, they they're having a tough go of it because I mean the academics are so tough, and I'm not that's not to put down any of these players saying they're not smart enough. It's just a school like that. It's 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 tough to get guys. Yeah, I mean I I agree, and it's tough because you you know you get these, you know, and I'm not trying to speak for these freshmen that are coming in, but a lot of them are coming in, you know, and let's be realistic, they're not coming in with the anticipation of you know, landing the best possible degree that they can get because a lot of them know they're destined for the NBA one year later. So why would they go to Northeastern, Northwestern? Why would they not go to Duke or go to Kentucky where they're going to, you know, be on TV all the time and get huge, you know, uh, have, you know, shoe um, deals and stuff like that. So it's, it's just tough. He's in a tough spot, but I was happy for him that first year, you know, with them because I thought, you know, I thought, you know, I always was a big, uh, big Chris Collins fan. Yeah, I mean, Wojo, it's it's a tough it's a tough deal to follow Buzz Williams. Buzz sure. is one of my favorite coaches ever. So Wojo had big shoes to fill. And um, yeah, I think Buzz made it so that not just getting to the tournament, that's not enough now. So Wojo, he's expected to get to the tournament and actually do some damage in the tournament. So not. So having kind of once in a while or, or having a guy as good as um, Marcus Howard, I mean, when, when you have a guy like that, there's going to be expectations. So hopefully Wojo can come through on them. I think there's going to be more pressure than he's seen. Uh, Tyler Thornton, he, he's that bull. He has that bull mentality. So I think maybe Wo, Wojo and Thornton, that's, that's some high-intensity guys as the head coach and assistant. So. Maybe they need to lay off. I don't know. I'm obviously <laughs> talking from knowing nothing about what's going on there, so don't take that as gold. But, uh, yeah, and Chris Collins, again, it's, it's just tough. And then the, Mike Bray, I mean, he is obviously the most successful of Coach K's assistants. Um, and, I mean, 
he had a, it was actually it was shocking to see Notre Dame have a down year last year. They had a bunch of injuries. Now I think they are primed. They're going to be, in my opinion, the most improved team in the ACC. Um, they, uh, I'm going to have to re-up as it gets closer to the season because I'm forgetting some names. But I know they had a guy who was injured. He's going to come back. I believe it might even be it's his fifth or sixth year. He's going to come back. He's going to be Fluger. Yeah. Yeah, Fluger. I'm a Fluger fan. Um, he's going to come back. I think they have a lot of young guys that got playing time. I, I think Notre Dame is definitely a threat, and they will be back in the hunt. Bobby Hurley, I think it's, I think there's a lot of expectations because just the name and how how well he did at Buffalo. So coming to Arizona State hasn't quite lived up to the expectations, but especially he's had a lot of success non-conference. Then it's really odd. They enter the Pac-10 or Pac-12 or whatever it's called, which really stinks the past couple of years. And somehow they don't do well. So it's, it's odd. I think they've beaten Kansas like the past two years in non-conference. Then they've kind of crapped the bed when conference season. And if they're good enough to do well in non-conference, why aren't they good enough to succeed in a conference which is awful? So who knows? But um, Jeff Capel, Pitt, really like what he's starting to build at Pitt. We, we know he's a great recruiter. And uh, I, I really like um, – just what, what, what he's building there. I, I think he has a great mentality. Uh, Xavier Johnson, that's my dude. Oh, um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah solid. Yeah, I'm a DMV guy, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and that guy has all the talent in the world. I'm just talking about college. Hopefully he can make it pro, but uh, I think he's going to be a guy who you can build a team around. He's a program guy. Finishing up, we got Greg Paulus. He was at GW last year, George Washington, uh, now at Niagara. Chris Burgess, assistant at, B, at BYU, and Chris Duhon. And it was nice to see him. I didn't realize he is now um, in the college coaching game. I know at least last year he was an assistant at Illinois State coach, but it's, it's fun to see him getting into the coaching action. And I forgot uh, there is obviously there's Tommy Amaker at Harvard. Harvard had a bunch of injuries last year, but they I think they could do major major damage i would predict them to win the ivy this year they got some great players and johnny dawkins quite a moment in the ncaa tournament um duke ucf that was one of what many would consider one of the most emotional moments they've seen with coach k and uh, one of his assistants or any, or coach k with any other coach after a game that was quite a moment um, so let me know if I forgot anyone. This was kind of just a list I made. And uh, let me hear your comments on any of the guys I mentioned. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think, I don't think yeah, I don't think we missed out on, on anybody else potentially. Uh, Paulus is a local guy. Well, not local, not too far from me. He's from the Syracuse area, which is about an hour and a half from where I live. But um, he, you know, he's a perfect, you know, type of coach you know like but he seems more of like an assistant coach than he does as a head coach i would think just his his demeanor um so i i i think we could see him getting in i'm interested yeah i mean niagara so he must be niagara very close to like where we live so he must have you know what he's trying to work his way maybe into one of those math programs or something like that to get his foot in the door, so um, I, w- I would be interested to see him. Duhan was a, I don't know, du- Duhan's one of my favorites. So I loved watching Duhan. Duhan was a, he just, 
I, I think Duhon has that knowledge and ability to, to maybe eventually be the next one of that group that's an assistant to stuff to step up. Um, Capel and Hurley are, I mean, I love, like you said, I loved what they're, I mean, they, they struggled mightily last year at Pitt, but I do think that he's bringing in, you know, some good, he's bringing in some good pieces. He's returning pretty much everybody to that roster. So, you know, they gave Syracuse the run for their money in the ACC tournament. I remember that game being at, at the tournament. And, like, they just – they're building a toughness about them. And I think in the ACC you have to you have to be able to be tough and, and, and handle going on the road and even trying to attempt playing in that gauntlet. So, um, you know, I just and, – and, and Bray – Bray's had our number a couple times. So I – it's hard for me to – to say he, he's absolutely the most successful, you know, since since leaving Duke. So, you know, just I, I'm not a huge, I've never been a huge Bray fan. I think Bray, you know, he, he made some comments about Duke in the past about how, you know, we get specific treatment and stuff like that. So for for to for me, it's just that that, that kind of didn't sit well with me in that aspect. But, but oh come on, everyone, man! Coach K said that about Dean Smith. Every coach <laughs> says that. Oh, I, I I understand in terms of you might want you may take that a little personal, but every coach will say that about any other team. It's whatever team is on top. You say, oh, the refs are just giving them the calls. But I'm not I'm not trying to fight you on that. I, I get it. No, I and I think Dean Smith panned out pretty good, huh? He had a pretty good career. I heard. You, you think? Yeah, not bad. I heard he, I heard he did some nice things over there in Carolina. Yeah, so Coach K says Dean Smith is getting all the calls and Duke isn't getting any. And then guess what? Now Duke is getting all the calls. The other team. I mean, that's just whatever team is kind of the underdog. That's what they're going to say yeah, about the, the other team. Yeah, yeah. The Patriots get all the calls. I mean, that's. I mean, there's some other stuff going on there. But um, yeah. But but I mean, yeah. That's just that's just kind of. I don't want to say what you should expect, but just what happens. No, I, I agree. And being a Duke fan, there's, again, I mean, it's one of those, you know, you know you know when you're a Duke fan that everybody's going to either think that you're a Duke fan because they're good or you're a Duke fan. But at the end of the day, you know, people can say whatever they want about Duke. But if you look back at the top, you know, top um, viewed show, I mean, viewed um, games this year, I mean, they were four of the top five or something like that. And there were one, two, three, I believe. And, and just – Everybody loves Duke, everybody hates Duke, but everybody watches Duke. All right, so I'll tell you what, going down all these players in different roles, it kind of, when it, when I was first listing them, I was like, oh, we can just roll right through. I didn't realize, I mean, it just goes to show how impressive the program is and the kind of the Coach K player tree, the coaching tree, how expansive it is. So we're going to finish up with um, some guys who maybe transferred from Duke, maybe anyone else you want to talk about. This has been actually – Again, a lot more expensive than I thought, hopefully enjoyable for many, because there really hasn't been an episode where it's literally going through everyone associated with Duke, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody. So let me know if there's anyone you want to mention. Um, but, uh, I mean, like William Avery, he's a trainer right now, physical trainer. Sean Dockery, he's a he's a music guy. I mean, there's plenty of others, like Zubex into real estate. But if you want to mention them in any way, I'm not, I don't want to go too deep into them if they're not actually – basketball related but hey maybe there are some others you just want to mention um outside of that there is uh, the guys who transferred 
Chase Jeter, I think he's going to get a a big chance to shine in the spotlight at Arizona. Um, I mean, you talk about hands being an issue. Chase Jeter, he would almost, when he caught the ball at Duke, he would already be thinking about what to do next. So his hands were always an issue. His feet are incredible. He has some of the best footwork. I, I mean, it could be too much, but I would even, I, when he was at Duke, I would compare him to Tim Duncan. The rest of his game, no. But um, just in terms <laughs> of his footwork, really incredible. And he was get and as his hands improved last year, you could see the potential showing. And there were some incredible drop steps, which I knew he had the potential to do just watching him at Duke. There's Derek Thornton as a grad uh, transfer coming to Boston College. Hopefully he succeeds there. It'll be fun to see him back uh, in the ACC. He's one of the guys who has a point guard not being a proficient spot-up shooter, but being a point guard at Duke and then being expected to be a spot-up shooter, not used in the pick-and-roll much. It was just a really, really tough situation. And then there was some other stuff which was just really unfair to him. Whatever you think about the situation, the kid was, I mean, he was a good kid, and I do have some insight into what went on behind the scenes. And let me just say, I, I, I would hope everyone will stay, stay rooting for him because he deserves it. Then lastly, Jordan Tucker. All right, so every single time somebody transfers, everyone thinks, oh, they should have stayed, they should have... They, they should have stuck it out. That's how, that's how you prove that you're competitive, blah, blah, blah. That's all stupid. I mean, you're going to do what's best for you. And if he wasn't getting a chance to show what he could do, then he did what was best for him and whatever. Support the kid, whatever he wants to do. Having said that, I don't think there's ever been a player who's transferred for Duke then where then immediately you saw where they could have helped, not just helped, but been a difference maker. Jordan Tucker... In March for Butler, he shot, I think, over 40% from three. And he's not a great defender, but he can defend. And if you think about this past season, the way Jordan Tucker would have fit in, that and that that's something that hasn't really been talked about much, but is endlessly frustrating without me putting any blame on him. I want to make that clear. I support whatever he wants to do to stay at Duke, to go somewhere else. But, man, he that role... Would have he? I mean, he wouldn't have just been in the rotation. He would have had, he would have been able to majorly, majorly contribute. So yeah, that that's so uh, yeah, that finishes up that list. Yeah, I, and that's a good list of three guys right there. That that I, I liked all three of them when they came to Duke. I had high hopes for Jeter. I liked, you know, I thought he, he you know, he's a big body. He could, you know, alter shots at the rim. And but like you said, I mean, you know, he he just couldn't like he couldn't process one he always had to be multiple steps ahead of what he was trying to do on the court so once once the game slowed down a little bit for him which it seems like it has in arizona because i did watch the um i did watch them in the maui when duke obviously was in the maui as well um he just looked like a different player i'm like i don't remember this chase jeter ever seeing this chase jeter on the court before so you know he seems to have matured and and found himself in the game again the game has seemed to slow down a little bit for him and, and it's mm-hmm. now giving him the ability to to show off what we expected him to do at duke and in terms of tucker 100 percent agree because i remember watching him when he was with butler and like defensively like you mentioned he's not that great defensively but this duke team for one for one time in the last you know 
the last couple of years, I think the best defense team we had this was this year since obviously the year we won it with Winslow. But and if I could just interrupt you for real quick, I will yep. say the fact that Alex O'Connell was proven to be such a good shooter, I think it just shows how little trust Coach K had in his defense. He yeah. couldn't get any time. Everyone was wondering, like, you you can't the team can't shoot from deep. You have Alex O'Connell. Why isn't he getting in? I mean, if you have anybody. trust, yeah. I mean, it, it it sucks to say. But that's just how it was. So if nothing else, Tucker's defense was better than O'Connell's. Agreed. You know, and it, and and that goes back to the you know the whole and we, this obviously would be another potential you know subject to cover. But the whole Joey Baker redshirt thing. So you know they bring him a big guy that shoots three well. I mean I don't know how how good he was defensively, unfortunately, because he never really got steady minutes. But you know the whole you know Tucker. He would have been instrumental, you know, a bigger guy that could take, that could shoot the perimeter shot, and you know, at least hold his own defensively. So, then hmm. then Thornton, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see Thornton bounce, um, bounce around to his third team because when Thornton came to Duke, I, I, I had high hopes for Thornton. Like I thought that, you know, I thought he had the ability to, you know, he was never going to be a, you know, a Kyrie or a Tyus Jones or that type of you know, they can go and single-handedly go win you a game. or But he, you know, he, he handled the offense well. He wasn't a very good defender from what I remember watching him. But Wait, you're uh, saying he wasn't a good defender? He, was, he wasn't like the, you know, locked-in on-ball defender his freshman year. He, he wasn't a very good shooter. Like, there was a couple areas that he needed to work on. He wasn't a very good perimeter shooter. So, like, it was just tough for him to, you know, when we got the guys that came in after him, to, for him ever to have a chance to get on the court i mean you're bringing guys like tyce jones you're bringing guys like what what we've brought in over the years even the trade you balls which obviously didn't pan out the way i would like the two but they just were more polarizing players than thornton was so i understand why he left usc i just i mean for usc i just don't understand why he's now moving back to boston college i mean i, I don't know what the opportunity is there i don't know if did kai bowman leave He's gone, right? Yeah, he graduated. So, yeah, I mean, there must be a lot of minutes there for him to play. And I, I liked his game, and I thought he got better. I just I just knew that, you know, he made the right decision leaving Duke, I think. Yeah, I mean, this, the, the, I think sometimes what, may, what guys might think they're getting into in the role at Duke is not what happens. And at a certain point, you would just think, Look, watch, look at Duke's point guards. Look at what happens. I mean, this is something I talked about with uh, Brent Wilkerson New on the kind of the State of Duke um, podcast I did. And maybe at another point we could go deeper in again. But like Duke point guards, their role is not the same as many other teams. They're expected to be spot-up shooters. Once Quinn Cook accepted that, I think he he, he really started to – be able to contribute more positively because, I mean, if you fight back against that, and I'm not saying literally, but Coach K, he's going to bench you. So if you look at the stats, I mean, most of these Duke point guards, they shoot 50, around, if not more, than 50% of their shots from three. So, and then he's going to trust someone else to initiate the offense. With I mean, there's still many people who think Trey Jones was Duke's point guard. Trey Jones was someone who ran their transition. Um, he... And that's where most of his assists came from. But R.J. Barrett initiated damn near everything in the half court. Yeah, and I think that was something which 
point guards have to realize. So when you have a guy like Trevon DeVal and uh, Derek Thornton who aren't adept catch-and-shoot guys, I would wonder if Duke is the right place for him. And the same thing for Trey Jones, which is why I'm so shocked that he stayed. And I, that's why this upcoming season is going to be one of the most intriguing seasons in a while just because of the fact that, like, if Trey, Trey knows how he was used, so the fact that he's staying, obviously Coach K is not going to absolutely 100% promise anybody anything. But there had to have been hints dropped in terms of the way the offense would differ. Because if not, this it's not made for Trey Jones. He's not, I mean, he, I think he will improve as a spot-up shooter. But it's going to be like a um, um, Sean Dockery kind of thing. Where Sean Dockery, he, he didn't shoot much. He kind of kept the ball moving. He was a lockdown defender. And the, every year, he would improve a little bit to the point where he was actually a 40% shooter in his senior year from deep. But he didn't shoot much. And I, I, I have heard things. They, he, he wasn't ever thrilled with his role at Duke, considering the type of guy he was recruited as. I mean, he was a major point guard. But again, I just think this is something I'm probably going a little too long-winded now and with something to focus on in another episode. But Duke point guards have to realize what they're getting into when they come to Duke. If you can't shoot from outside, catch and shoot, it might not be the place for you. I'm also you know, very happy that Trey came back, but also very uh, intrigued on what's going to happen because – you know, they just, I mean, they weren't even in the same zip code as him when he was open in the corner and stuff like that. Like they were like, they're and next year is going to be the same thing. Like he's going to have to be a better shooter. And you mentioned when Quinn, Quinn became almost automatic from three point, you know, eventually. And that, you know, changed our whole rush. I think what's going to help trade this year that didn't help last year is that you can't really like, there, there's going to be a bunch of shooters on this roster. I mean, the O'Connells can shoot, and Baker can shoot, and Wendell Moore can shoot, and Matthew Hurt can shoot. So, like, they're going to have a lot of shooters on the court as well. So, hopefully, that'll that'll help with, you know, developing Trey as well. But I, I agree. I mean, I agree with you that, you know, the roles are are different, definitely different at Duke and point guard than other schools. Some are schools they let you just have the reins and go make plays and at Duke it's it's a little different. They expect you to, to be able to hit a jump shot. And unfortunately, Trey was not able to do that consistently last year. Yeah, I will say, um actually if you if you could uh, talk for like thirty six, I'm looking for oh here it is. Okay. So Quinn Cook I mean he was uh, watching him at DeMatha and Oak Hill. Like even though he obviously was more ball dominant as the main guy he was still he could shoot uh, threes off the dribble and he was adept at catch and shoot. So you look at the percent of his field goal attempts as three point field goal attempts, and I mean there's a small super small sample. He's coming off injury in eleven twelve, forty eight point three percent, fifty one point five in half court. But then two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen, we think that was a really good Duke team, but only thirty eight point six percent of his shots came on threes, 41.4% in the half court. So you have to think about that. Coach K, even as good as Duke was doing, I don't think he was happy about that. So when 2013-14 came around, it was understandable that, not understandable, but that's why, or even at the end of 2012-13, Tyler Thornton was point guard a lot more 
than uh, Quinn Cook because Tyler Thornton just did whatever Coach K asked. Then 2013-14 came around. The last 14 games, he had 75 three-point field goal attempts and 33 uh, two-point field goal attempts. So that, I think, is what got him back on Coach K's good graces. And then coming, and then 2014-15, um overall, 63.5% in half court. So, I mean, this is the type of shots Coach K wants his point guards taking. Trey Jones just didn't, he didn't get any pick and roll. I mean, with the NBA being so heavily pick and roll reliant, for him to not give his point guards pick and roll, for him to give it to other guys, it's just, again, I... Again, I'm I'm being too long-winded in terms of this subject, so so we we can move on. But I just think as point guards, as high school point guards, know what role, know what you're getting into with Duke, and just I don't want to say beware, just don't be surprised because even though you'll have kind of the Coach K cosign, which is huge for the NBA, I'm not sure how much you're going to develop as a point guard, but man, do I hope that I'm proven wrong next year with the way Trey Jones is used in Duke's system as well as him improving off court in his perimeter shooting. So is there any other uh, players, current X, or not not current because that's for another time, but X duke players, coaches that uh, maybe we didn't mention that uh, you want to give a shout out to? I, I think the one that comes to my mind that I don't think we mentioned yet at all today would be um, would be Lance Thomas because I think Lance was – Oh, my God, you're absolutely – is he still in, in the league? So Lance Thomas is a Nick still. So I know it sounds crazy, but what the crazy thing to me about Lance, you know, and by no means did he have a great season last year. I mean, he shot 28% from three, which is not very good, but um, – he developed into a shooter like that to me was he always had a decent mid-range jump shot when he was with Duke and and, and did all the I remember the day he chose Duke and and people were talking about how he was going to come in and be a you know scorer and this and that and obviously that that was not his role at Duke but you know watching him my dad is a Knicks fan so watching him play you know with the Knicks a lot I mean we're shooting 40 something percent three I'm like I didn't even I didn't even know he could shoot a mid-range jump shot in consistency. So it just shows you that, you know, these guys go into the NBA and they go and play in the NBA and they become, you know, they work on something and they become better. And, you know, so I don't see how Trey might not be able to do the same, but I I think he has to, it has to start this year and it has to start now at, at Duke for his sophomore year because, you know, he's already getting comparisons to Tyus, and people are calling Tyus a bust. And I don't know. I don't. I don't agree with it. But I just. I just hope, in terms of of that, that 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 Trey is able to, you know, maybe have a little more free reign at point guard this year. So. I don't know. Where was he picked? Like twenty five. It's hard to call somebody a bust. I agree. When, when when they're a very reliable backup point guard who can start occasionally and be really solid. And I think they showed he had the highest assist to turnover ratio of any point guard with a minimum of whatever the the, the games were. Like he had like a five or something like that to one uh, turnover ratio. So I'm like, just because he's not a flat out scorer and just because he's not, you know, lighting up the box scores with Westbrook type numbers does not mean that a guy who's five assist to one turnover ratio in the NBA is I think that's pretty, pretty plausible. Yeah, and okay, so I will I will push back a bit against uh, Lance Thomas because he his mid range 
that was basically the, sh- the only shot he could make. Sure. He, w- he, w- he would constantly get the offensive rebounds and get blocked 7,000 times. I mean, Lance, when Lance Thomas was close to the rim, it was almost a guaranteed he was getting blocked. And I say that with love because I love I, I love everything he was and who he was and what he contributed. But, man, that guy could not score at the – I'm actually looking at his stats. His two-point percentage is terrible. And his three-point percentage – before last season, yeah, you're right. He was actually above 40% in the past three seasons. Obviously, it's not huge samples, but uh, I think he's just the same thing as Emil. He's a professional. So uh, I think he's a guy every team would love to have, just to, even for his locker room presence, if not for what he can provide just with the glue guy stuff on the court. So I, I think uh, we, we talked about a whole bunch, but it was a lot of fun because, again, I don't get to uh, kind of run down all the Duke in the NBA. You know what? I, I Actually, people are going to get angry because there is one player we forgot. I know who it is. I'll let you say it. Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard, yeah. How did I forget that? Oops. <laughs> all right, tell me what you, All right, so before we close it out, thoughts on Luke Kennard? I, I mean, I used to – I watched Luke Kennard and, and, and just the effortless – I mean, the just it's just effortless watching him shoot a basketball. He just I, I remember, you know, in that ACC tournament when he played against um, Louisville and it was just every single time he touched the basketball, everybody in the building, whether it was Louisville fan or Duke fan, knew that ball was going in. So, like, I, I think I think he's going to continuously get more minutes with Detroit. I think they know that, um, you know, they have a good, you know, good piece there, good shooter. I don't know. He, he's got to become a better defender, I think, you know, in terms of guarding the twos in the NBA, which is obviously easier said than done. But I, I think he has a chance to, you know, maybe maybe go not quite on a J.J. Redick path. I don't want to go down that road because J.J. is always going to be J.J. in my heart. But just that type of guy that if he can become a better defender offensively and, and, and from the perimeter, I mean, his shot is as good as anyone's. So. Yeah, I mean, defense is the most obvious thing, and this is something I, I, I'm, I have not had a chance to watch him much with the Pistons, but I think the biggest thing on offense, at least from what I saw at Duke, maybe he has improved, but is going to be coming off screens. That's what J.J. does better than most everyone in the NBA, the precision in terms of just the timing of the steps, each step being so precise in terms of being able to create space in terms of um, running to the spot with absolute 100% everything you can get and just the change of of speed. I mean, the way you move off ball is one of the most underrated factors for sure, like him or someone like Corver, uh, just all these guys in terms of the way they move off ball. Luke he wasn't he wasn't bad, not bad at all, but he wasn't great at that at Duke. He hit the open shots, but he wasn't used enough, um, at least from three-point range that way. He did come come around. For, he had a bunch of times kind of on curls at the elbow, like uh, elbow jumpers, but not enough three-pointers in my opinion. So that might be something he's adjusting to. But, I mean, your, your word, your term of effortless, that's I agree with that 100%. I mean, it's just, and it's so smooth. Like, and, and I guess he's supposed to be like an all-state quarterback too. So, you know, he's got the athleticism and ability. He's a really good passer. You know, I'm a huge, I was a huge Kennard fan at Duke, and I hope he would stay another year, you know, for selfish purposes only, of course, as a Duke viewer. But 
I, I, I think I think he's gonna you're gonna see him be one of those guys that takes a step forward this year. Luke Kennard, aka as I mentioned before anyone else did, because it's the most obvious comparison possible, but just because I did a little earlier, Chris Mullen Jr. All right, so I, I, let's close. Yeah. All right, one. so let's close it out. Um, Joe, thanks so much for joining me. That this was this was great to go to go for a deep dive on Duke in the NBA. Duke uh, coaches, assistant coaches who have who have now moved on to other locations for Duke players who have other jobs in other areas for Duke transfers. Just everything that is not current. Um, on the current Duke roster. So this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I mean, I, so I, um, f- first of all, thank you for, for you know, giving me the, um, you know, the platform to talk all, all things Duke basketball, you know, some blasts from the past, some names I haven't heard, and, you know, the Sean Dockeries of the world that I got to talk about and stuff. So, um as of right real, now, real, real quick, again, this is so rude of me to interrupt. The the most crazy reaction I've ever had to watching a game in my entire a Duke game in my entire, I lost my I, I I that's the only time in my life I've literally jumped off the sofa and just ran around screaming. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, no, and, and let me just piggyback off that quick. I remember my my cousin and I are huge Duke fans as well, so we kind of raised my cousin. Um, you know, so so him and I were really close. So he would always come over and watch the Duke games with my wife and I. And I remember being at my parents' house watching the game, miserable, throwing my shoes on, um, about to walk out the house. You know, the game thought the game was over. He shot the half court shot, and you would have thought that I was Carl Lewis running around my house, like we just won that. It was the most. But I never had a shot in the world. I never thought that ball was going in. But that that is probably that's top five memories of ever watching Duke basketball. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about basketball and talk about Duke basketball. It's, uh, you know, it's my favorite thing to do in this world outside of spending time with my beautiful family. Um, so, you know, again, thank you. And it, it, it's, it's, it's been an honor to be on here. My, my pleasure. Okay, guys, I'm Adam Comerth. I will be talking to you soon. Appreciate you listening.